How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. <clears throat> I'm Brother Matthew, the outlaw preacher, and here to bring forward the outlawed gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ of Scripture, Jesus, the Lord God, the Almighty God manifest in the flesh, who saves us by grace, through faith, by belief alone, who saves us from the condemnation of our sins by the belief of faith, by the riches of his grace, because of his works of what he's done on the cross. It's his work, his boast. It's all of his righteousness, his merit, his virtue. It's his blood. It's all of him, nothing of us. And he has given it to us as that great gift. And praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for his free gift of salvation. And this is what is outlawed. And this is what is hated and it is outlawed not only by many a government by many of society by much of what's going on around but it's outlawed by many other religions many other belief systems they hate this gospel they hate this christ they hate this gospel they hate this work of jesus christ and they create a new god a new jesus a new system of salvation which goes completely against what the lord has given so what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be taking a look at the biblical gospel uh, at how a couple other belief systems attack this gospel. We're going to be doing some reactions. So I got a couple videos actually that I'm going to be playing and uh, we're going to we're going to watch together and I'm going to react to them and show you how they're completely nuts. <laughs> it's uh, two videos from two different channels where they uh, are quite firm in their belief that they can refute once saved always saved <laughs> so we're going to be taking a look at their claims we're going to be taking a look at what they have to say so we don the battle gear we're going to be contending for the faith today and uh we're going to be uh, uh just refuting their nonsense and showing what the word of god actually says so grab your bibles grab your notepads and pens grab your tea grab your coffee come join us at the table pull up your chair and uh let's fight together let's stand together and fight against the the these heresies this nonsense let's worship the lord god almighty jesus christ and thank him and praise him for his salvation by grace through faith by belief alone and not of works not of righteous works not by works of the law so praise the lord for that amen so good morning good morning coffee's hot passions are hot time to get busy all right so i want to wear the hat through the whole thing it's comfortable i like it i want to wear it but uh, uh, the word of God says uh, a man praying or prophesying with his head covered dishonoreth his head so we must follow the, the word of God he says it's not good for a man uh, if he's praying or preaching to have his head covered that's 1st Corinthians chapter 11 verse 4 1st Corinthians chapter 11 verse 4 so to the Lord men take off your hats all right when you go to pray, when you go to preach, take off your hats. That's what the Word of God says. So we will follow. Okay, so to start this, before we get going, <clears throat> I want to take a look once more at Ephesians. Now, we're like I said, we're going to be taking a look at two videos. One 
it's a video from it's a video from a monastery from a roman catholic monastery and uh, they did a video where they have uh the best evidence to refute once saved always saved the best passage to refute once saved always saved so we're gonna listen to that and see what they have to say and see what the word of god actually says <clears throat> the second video is from a famous quite popular youtube channel uh, bible flock box you may have heard of it bible flock box they do uh, fancy animated uh, little videos to bible stories and bible flock box turns out to be a seventh day adventist channel a seventh day adventist channel and they deny once saved always saved and a bunch of other nonsense <clears throat> they also believe a lot of other nonsense and but uh, they have a video on five reasons five reasons why once saved always saved is not true so we're going to be playing that video as well secondly and we're going to see okay what are the what are their evidences and we're going to see how they're absolutely just ridiculous so they don't know what they're talking about so that's what we got on the docket for today <clears throat> and meanwhile if you have any comments questions issues insights anything you'd like to bring up please go ahead ask away be glad to hear from you and uh so i'm really excited about this i love doing this i love finding uh coming across these kinds of videos and uh just biblically reacting to them so tell you what folks because i enjoy this so much if you don't already have a contact uh, a source to contact us you can do so through our website christiancoffeetime.ca christiancoffeetime.ca we have our contact us link there if there's a video that you see that that's rather interesting what now well, I want to, uh, I'd prefer shorter videos, videos that are like an hour or more long. Uh, constantly pausing and reacting will double, triple, quadruple the time. So keep that in mind. Shorter videos are better. But if you come across an interesting video that, that you feel that goes against the word of God or something like that, send it our way. <laughs> I can't promise you they'll be able to get to all of them if everybody starts sending them. But, uh, I'll do the best I can, but uh, see what you can dig up, and let's have some fun. Let's see, okay, what kind of crazy thing do these people say? Now, what does the Bible actually say? <clears throat> Just no flat earth stuff, please. No flat earth stuff, please. I beg of you. <laughs> now, I know some of you are going to do it on purpose could just to annoy me, but... I hate the whole flat earth thing. If you're a flat earther, okay, that's your choice. Go right ahead. I don't care. I'm not. And I'm done talking about the shape of dirt. I'm, I'm done with dirt, okay? I don't care about the shape of dirt. The shape of dirt doesn't prove anything. It, it, they say, well, the government's hiding the shape of the earth because it proves God. Oh, but they're not hiding Bibles. They're not hiding churches. They're not hiding archaeological evidence that proves the bible true they're not hiding all of the, the the records and the testaments and everything that proves the, the existence of jesus some of all of that doesn't prove god but the shape of dirt does now you got me started okay so <clears throat> what we're going to be talking about today is once saved always saved now when we take a look at what the bible says in here about salvation that it's by grace now what does grace mean now, 
grace is the unmerited favor of God. Unmerited favor of God. Now, do, do we understand what unmerited means? What unmerited means? That means I didn't merit it. I didn't earn it. It's not a reward. I don't deserve it. But he gave it to me anyways because he so loved me. It means it's nothing of me. It's all of him. And we see the difference in contract and covenant. Now, if salvation was based upon my behavior, upon my ability to maintain, to earn, to gain, or self-atone, all that, then salvation is a contract and not a covenant because it's also based upon my part, my portion. So I have to do something in addition to believing to be saved. Then salvation is a contract. But the Bible flat out clearly says it's a covenant. And a covenant is a covenant of one. Not a covenant of two. It's a covenant of one. <clears throat> so we also see uh, multiple times throughout the scriptures, it's not by works, not by righteous works, not by works of the law. And we head it off with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's not of yourselves, not of works, as any man should boast. But then all of the works-based salvationists deny Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Titus 3, 5, Galatians 2, 16, all of these, and they ignore them. They have nothing to do with those. They, they, they don't even hardly touch on those because they hyper cherry pick all these other passages that may seem to indicate that salvation it, it also depends upon my doing or not doing or whatever. They don't know what they're talking about. But we see that the power of God unto salvation has nothing to do with me. And as the, the verse that I actually put up this morning across the social media uh, by Romans chapter 10, verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So we see right there, Romans 10, 3. Ignorant of God's righteousness. That his righteousness is so permeating is so powerful, so all-consuming. He he doesn't need your righteousness, which is in and of itself absurd, because all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So how can we think that we can produce righteousness equal to in power and purity of the righteousness of Jesus Christ to assist him to save us? There's so many arguments, so many arguments that we can go over uh, to defend once saved, always saved. <clears throat> but needless to say, we know and understand that salvation cannot be lost, taken away, or be recanted. Uh, if it could, that, that in and of itself denotes that it's a works-based system, and the Bible flat out says it's not. So, all right. Now, to do a poll, uh, what I would like to walk through here first before we get going. Now, I want you folks to understand i do not hate people okay i don't hate people i don't hate individuals uh now i'm against and i detest heresies and false doctrines these kinds of things but but uh, i just want to make it clear because some people think because i so vehemently attack these kinds of teachings and stuff that i that i'm attacking individuals i do not attack individuals i do not hate individuals I do not hate people, I do not hate Catholics or Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, I don't hate any of these, I don't hate gays, I don't hate anybody. 
I'm against certain belief systems, that does not mean that I hate the individuals involved in it. A Christian can be opposed to something and not that not hate the people involved with it. So please understand that. All right. So also a clar clarification before we get going. I have not seen these two videos that we'll be playing. So I'm kind of going into these two videos blind. I'm not exactly sure what I'm getting myself into. I decided to go about it this way this morning just for fun. So for fun, I'm going to throw on the headphones because I realized I didn't do that last time and it created an echo in the video, which my wife was trying to tell me, but I didn't notice the text. She's trying to tell me and I wasn't paying attention. So I put on my headphones so, so hopefully there isn't an echo in the sound quality this time. And we'll be able to go about this properly. Um, so while we're going through the videos, I have no idea what I'm getting into. I have no idea what they're going to be saying. So this is going to be fun. Um, if you guys have any comments, questions, insights, anything as we're going along, please feel free to, to uh, ask away, to chime in and all of that. I'd be glad to hear from you. If you got anything you'd like to add to it, please feel free to do so. Okay. Alrighty. So this is going to be fun. <clears throat> I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. So we're going to firstly start with a Roman Catholic video. <laughs> from the most holy family monastery now when i saw that i was just laughing the, the first thing that i said was how pretentious how pretentious not they're, they're not just a holy family most holy family monastery <laughs> oh my goodness the, the, the workspace cults are so pretentious. They're so pretentious. They're so self-indulged, self-righteous cults. That's all they are. Oh my goodness. Can't stand it. Anyways. Alright. Lord, thy word is truth. The gospel is truth. Let us contend for it. All right, let's get going. So this video is produced by the Most Holy Family Monastery. Okay, let's see what they have to say. So this video is the best passage to refute once saved, always saved. Really? Let's take a look. <laughs> sure. There are literally dozens of verses in the New Testament that refute justification by faith alone and the idea of once justified, always justified, which is sometimes called once saved, always saved. There's literally dozens of verses that refute it, really. Literally. They're, they're, he, he starts off on fire. Really? Okay, I'm already irritated. The ideas of faith alone and once justified, always justified are contradicted and refuted by basically every book of the New Testament.
Okay. I have so many questions. I have so many questions. By nearly every book of the New Testament. Did he say nearly every book or did he actually say by every book? I gotta, sorry, I got to rewind. <laughs> Which is sometimes called once saved, always saved. The ideas of faith alone and once justified, always justified are contradicted and refuted by basically every book of the New Testament. By basically every book of the New Testament. Really? Is that why the Bible says that you're held in the hand of the Father, no man can pluck you out? That means you can't pluck yourself out either? Is that why Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? I'll never let you go. I am always with you. I will never cast you away. Neither height nor depth nor any other creature can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is now therefore no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and the, and the fullness of assurance. How many passages of how many books completely defend once saved, always saved? What kind of... not? Oh. I, I, I can't promise I'm not going to get angry in this in these videos. So just bear with me. If I do get angry, please understand it's righteous anger, and I'm angry at the heresy. Okay. Let's try this again. Which is sometimes called once saved, always saved. The ideas of faith alone and once justified, always justified are contradicted and refuted by basically every book of the New Testament. Since there is so much proof on this matter, limiting the argument to one verse or passage really doesn't do justice to the amount of evidence that can be brought forward on the issue. However, if I had to pick just one passage in the New Testament to refute faith alone and once justified, always justified. Okay, I also have to throw in a clarification here. This is by the Vatican. This is the most holy uh, family monastery, uh, Roman Catholic. This is Vatican doctrine. This is papal bull. Uh, it's called the papal bull, papal decree. Uh, by the Roman Catholic Church of their own ordinances where they flat out in the Roman Catholic Catechism they actually decree that salvation by grace alone is anathema maranatha what they are literally saying is salvation by grace alone is accursed of God they actually condemn salvation by grace alone as a doctrine of hell that it that is accursed of God hated of God and that, that it's an actual heresy. So the Catholic Church, in their catechism, flat out curses and condemns grace alone salvation. So the Catholic Church condemns the book of Ephesians, Galatians, and on. I would pick Galatians 5. All right, take your Bibles. Let's do this. We're going to do it. we got to do it right. Galatians chapter 5, okay? Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. 19 through 21. 19 through 21. Let's take a look. Let's read it before we get going. <clears throat> okay. We need to back up even further. Let's back up to verse 16. Okay. That's Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, so we understand as well there's a difference between the flesh and the spirit. Right? That the spirit is saved, the flesh is not. By the way, the video, the audio is good, no echo. Awesome. Okay, so walk in the spirit and you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. The two are, are, are not... Uh, 
are, are, are contrary to each other and war against each other, right? Just Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 talks about his struggle with the flesh. The things I want to do, I can't do. Okay, so you understand what the lust of the flesh is, right? Now, we take a look. For the flesh, the unsaved flesh, lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you're no, not under the law. Romans 6.14, no longer under the law, but under grace. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest which are these adultery fornication uncleanness lasciviousness idolatry witchcraft hatred variance emulations wrath strife seditions heresies envyings murders drunkenness revelings and such like of the which i tell you before as i've told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of god okay <clears throat> now to do here is to live in unrepentantly to have no conviction of to have no repentance of and that this is what you yourself are known for like like uh, uh judas iscariot was a thief and wore the bag was unrepentant right okay so that's what it's getting at. let's see what this heretic says in galatians 5 19 through 21 saint paul gives a list of mortal sins that ex mortal sins okay that i have to clarify things as we go along mortal sins is a roman catholic doctrine and teaching there are venial sins and mortal sins difference what they what the catholic church calls mortal sins is that if you commit one of these you instantly lose your salvation and you're unsaved on your way to hell again venial sins uh, are lesser sins lying and coveting other kind uh the, the apathy whatever uh lesser sins that you can go to the go go to the confessional and you can be forgiven all this stuff but if you commit a mortal sin you instantly lose your salvation you have to start all over again so all right let's keep going glued people from heaven the list whoa 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 wait back up what did he say in galatians 5 19 through 21 saint paul gives a list of mortal sins that exclude people from heaven okay the list includes fornication, impurity, drunkenness, and other things. He then says, quote, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. End quote. Right, right. Saint Paul emphatically warns the believers that if they commit those grave sins, they will not go to heaven. No, that's not what he says. That's not what that means. You see that right there? Cherry picking. That's not what he's saying. That's why i backed up to verse 16 because i want to show you the context you see what he just did he just cherry picked this list out of context to justify their nonsensical garbage of, of workspace salvation and he took it out of context to say that it's in general about you in general no 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 paul back up verse 16 he's talking about the flesh itself, how the flesh works, what the flesh lusts after, what the flesh wants. And then he goes on to talk about what the spirit says, what the spirit desires, what the spirit wants, and how the flesh and spirit war against each other. This is the character of the flesh. This is the character of the spirit. This is why the flesh hates the spirit. This is why the spirit hates the flesh. And this is what the flesh is like. And, and living in these things is living in the flesh and not walking after the spirit, like Romans 8, 1, that those that are born again saved are walking in the spirit and there's now therefore no condemnation. 
But you see, the Roman Catholic Church denies, rejects context. Cherry picks the passage to justify their heresy. You see that? Please tell me you see that. All right, so let's back up again. So you see, and listen to the language. When you, This is apologetics 101. When you're going to be debating, you're going to be arguing, you're going to be dealing with opponents of the faith like this, you must, must listen very carefully to the specific words that the that the person is saying because when uh, because by the very words that they say you know where they're coming from you know where they're going you know what they're about the fact that that uh, as i pointed out uh, that he was addressing the saints in general see that you see that <clears throat> you see that okay so let's back it up again just a little bit and let's go over this one more time Okay. However, if I had to pick just one passage in the New Testament to refute faith alone and once justified, always justified. To refute faith alone. Did you hear that? Pick one passage that refutes faith alone. Is that why the Bible itself flat out says faith alone? multiple times it, sa it says uh, that we're justified by faith we are justified by faith we're justified by faith and he says justified by, justified by faith without the deeds of the law and he says to refute faith alone but even though the bible flat out says itself faith alone like come on God. I would pick Galatians 5, 19 through 21. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, St. Paul gives a list of mortal sins that exclude people from heaven. The list includes fornication, impurity, drunkenness, and other things. He then says, quote, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, I warn you. So he's, he's a, because he's a talking to the church of Galatia. Galatia. I'm talking to the Galatians. I warn you, as I'm telling you this, this is how it works. Okay? As I've warned you before, that those... So you see, there's a context change here. He's talking to, but he's not addressing. You see this? I, I, I'm warning you that those who do such things shall not enter the kingdom of God. I'm telling you this. This is how it works. He's not saying you... I'm warning you that if you do these things, you will not enter the kingdom of God. It's not, you see, see how they change the context there. And see that he's not saying, I'm warning you that if you do these things, you're not going to heaven. No, 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 no. He didn't say that. He doesn't say that. I'm telling you that those someone else, someone else, see that. End quote. St. Paul emphatically warns the believers that if they commit those grave sins, they will not go to heaven. No, no, he does not. That's wrong. That completely refutes both faith alone and once justified, always justified. No, it doesn't. It proves that a believer can lose his salvation. Nope. Thus refuting once justified, always justified. Nope. It also proves that a believer can lose his salvation for grave sins, that nope. is, for his deeds, not just for denying the faith or for apostasy that refutes justification by faith alone. And a Protestant can't successfully argue that the passage only applies to fake or insincere believers, 
but not to truly justified believers. No, that argument fails miserably, because when St. Paul says, quote, I warn you, as I warned you before, he's speaking directly to the true believers. Yeah, he's, he's addressing the believers, this is the letters written to them, but the, but the, uh, the point of this list here is not addressed at them, but is addressing at someone else. He gives the warning directly to fellow members of the body of Christ, the very people he identified as, quote, sons of God, and as having, quote, put on Christ, in Galatians 3, 26-27. Thus, there's no doubt that his statement applies to true believers. He's telling the true believers, I warn you, don't be deceived by a false message such as faith alone, or <laughs> once justified, always justified. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Again, we take a look at the at these things. For example, the second verse here he put Galatians three twenty six twenty seven. For in Christ Jesus, no, I'm not going to read his version. Uh, Galatians three uh, twenty six twenty seven. But we got to back up. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> let's look at this. Take your Bible, please. I want to show you something. Look at this. Galatians chapter three. This is why you back up. This is why you back up. And you look at the whole context. What did he just say? Refuting justified by faith, right? He said, he said, refuting justified by faith. Look at verse, look at verse 24 of Galatians 3 that he's talking about. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. He deliberately did not quote that verse because that verse refutes his nonsense that we might be justified by faith but after faith is come we're no longer under schoolmaster for you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus mm -hmm. by faith in Christ Jesus for as many as you have been baptized into Christ to put on Christ there's neither Jew nor, nor Greek neither bond nor free there's neither male nor female for you're all one in Christ Jesus and if you be Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise justified by faith he deliberately cherry-picked some verses and didn't quote these other ones because he knew that they would refute his nonsense you see that man heretics be crazy according to which grave sins cannot bar you from heaven or according to which after you truly believe you are supposedly incapable of or immune to committing grave sins no saint paul says you who have put on christ are warned Galatians 5, 19-21 is particularly devastating for two additional reasons. <laughs> particularly devastating. Really. <laughs> wow. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, there's this Morningstar person again. This Morningstar person pops in every once in a while. I've refuted them a number of times. They're an absolute blasphemous heretic, and they won't listen to anything. They keep trying to push law, and that we have to keep the law. We're under the law, and all this kind of thing. I, I'm always addressing them, and they refuse to listen. 
So I just kick them out whenever they come in. All right, let's continue. Okay, so this passage is particularly devastating, is it? Really? First, some Protestants will argue in desperation that the passages in the New Testament about how people will, quote, die for sinful behavior, for example, Romans 8.13. Romans 8.13, I need to take a look at this. What's he, what's he quoting? Romans 8.13, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of your body, ye shall live. Okay, what's the context? You can't just quote a verse like that without context. Uh, oh, you have to back way up. Oh, this is, yeah, this one. There is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. All right. So, okay. Uh, for they that are after the flesh, unsaved, do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, the saved. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, the flesh is against the Spirit, but the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is subject to the law of God, neither can be. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. The unsaved cannot please God. There's nothing you can do to please him. You can uh, impress God with your deeds. But you're not, but ye, the saved, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. We are separated from the curse of the flesh. Even though we're, we're subject to the temptations and the, and the battling of the flesh, we are not in the flesh. We are in the spirit. But even though this, the flesh is bound to us, that, it, that there's now that the war between us. But we are not condemned by the flesh because we're saved by the spirit. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by a spirit that dwelleth in you. When we're changed in twinkling of an eye in that day. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of your body, ye shall live. How do you do that? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're living after the flesh, living in the flesh, you will die. You'll die the second death. There's no life in you. But Jesus says, if you believe in me, you shall never die. I am the resurrection and the life. All those who believe in me shall never die. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit to mortify the deeds of your body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So you see, again, he's cherry-picked this passage, Romans 8. He's cherry-picked that verse uh, to try to justify that, well, you see, if you, if you commit, you lose your salvation. That's not what the passage says at all. I just read the passage. You see what happens when you back up, look at the whole context. You look at the whole context. 
this often will, will will just tell you you don't even have to ask questions just read the whole context and it will refute the nonsense and refute the air back up go again through it slowly take a look at the whole context do you see that please tell me you see that that his uh, him what he's saying here is nonsense let's back up again take a look at what he's saying testament about how people will quote die for sinful behavior for example romans eight thirteen only mean that believers will lose physical life, not that believers can be damned or excluded from the kingdom of God for those sins. That's untrue, of course. But since Galatians 5, 19-21 teaches that grave sins bar believers from the kingdom of God, no, it, doesn't. it refutes that objection without having to say more. Second, the passage is particularly devastating because, while the exact same truth and doctrine is found in Ephesians 5, 5-11, and in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, those passages describe categories of sinners that are barred from heaven. I told you I, I hadn't I haven't seen these videos before this. I'm going into this blind. So I'm having to comment on it as we go along. Okay. I have to hear this one more time. Wow, this guy, his theology is so bad. 5, 5 to 11, and in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, those passages describe categories of sinners that are barred from heaven. Cate categories of sinners that are barred from heaven? No! No, um, this is, he's talking, there are no sinners that are barred from heaven in the context of what he's talking about and that that they cannot be saved that's what he means that cannot be saved that they have committed these mortal sins and they are cursed of god and they're going to go to hell there's no salvation that's what the catholic church believes that is stupid this is talking about sin in general and that they're giving lists of sins that how these are sins and these are cursed of god that that the, this is why they're bad this is why the lord condemns it all sinners are on their way to hell and all sinners can be saved all sinners can be saved he's he's approaching this whole argument this whole argument is being approached from the angle of the roman catholic church's teaching of of mortal sins that if you commit these you go straight to hell there's no salvation that is stupid, that's nonsense, that's unbiblical, nowhere found in the Bible. But this is this is what they do. They take these lists and they twist them to fit the, their personal catechismic teaching. For example, fornicators, adulterers, etc. In the face of those passages, some Protestants will argue, again in desperation. <laughs> again in desperation. We're so desperate to try to prove ourselves that categories of sinners such as fornicators, adulterers, etc. are listed because a true believer who has been washed supposedly can't get to the point where he is identified as an actual fornicator or an actual adulterer or an actual drunkard, etc. That argument is also completely false. It's demolished by other facts in those books that I don't have time to cover now. <laughs> okay, let's go to First Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, okay, First Corinthians chapter five, the verse starting at verse one. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, Church of Corinth, 
and such fornication as is not so named as among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed, fornication, might be taken away from among you. For I verily and as absent in body but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when you are gathered together and in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one the fornicator deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus mic drop this guy who committed fornication is saved his spirit is saved in the day of the Lord Jesus he, he needs to understand how, why he needs to repent and he needs to turn to the Lord and he needs to get himself right with the Lord but his spirit is saved his flesh is not his flesh is condemned to die but his spirit is saved in the day of the Lord Jesus <laughs> I'm so desperate. I'm so desperate. Uh, it's demolished. <laughs> wow. This old uh, Canadian backcountry bumpkin. Yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. See our video on 1 Corinthians, for example, no, which shows how 1 Corinthians 10, 7 to 8 disproves it. No, it doesn't. But since Galatians 5, 19 to 21 doesn't mention categories of sinners, but rather lists the sins that will bar you, that is, true believers, from heaven, it completely refutes that objection without having to say anything more. Uh -huh. It leaves the Protestant with nowhere to go. <laughs> nowhere to go, right? Nowhere to go. I have nowhere to go. Okay. <laughs> oh man, there are so many passages. But okay, uh, I'm just going to use Romans chapter seven uh, as my mic drop. <laughs> Romans chapter seven. Okay, <clears throat> Romans chapter seven. Apostle Paul writes about his struggle with sin, and but uh, but not just that, but what he specifically writes about is the distinction between the flesh and the spirit that that the, uh, the with the mind i serve the law of god but the flesh i serve the law of sin that uh, there is a difference between the body and the spirit between the saved the saved mind and the unsaved mind and all this that there is a great dichotomy between the flesh and spirit the catholic binds the two together and makes it one unit but the bible separates the two and shows the difference between the two you see catholicism is incapable of separating the flesh and the spirit as two distinct categories that 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 the flesh wars against hates against the flesh is not saved the flesh is condemned to die the spirit is saved and hates the sins of the flesh but struggle and fight against the Catholic doesn't understand this. Catholicism does not see the difference. So yeah. Um, okay, so we got some other questions, some other topics we will get to once we're done this. Okay, as Robert says here, what it does is it gives examples of the difference between living in the spirit and living in the flesh exactly and what that means in actual biblical context 
actual biblical context. Can a Christian sin? Yes. Can a Christian uh, commit any of these horrible sins? Yes, absolutely. What happens? The spirit, the spirit of God within us convicts us, draws us back, and gets us right with the Lord. He doesn't cast us away and bar us from heaven. That's stupid. Catholicism's stupid. It contains, in one little package, all the necessary elements to destroy Protestant salvation doctrine. I haven't heard this before. This is great. Okay. Destroys the Protestant doctrine. Really? Destroys it. Absolutely destroys it. Right. I'm sorry. This is so stupid. There are numerous other passages that are, in my view, as powerful in completely refuting the Protestant position. Powerful. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is so dumb. Oh my goodness. You, do you hear the arrogance? Do you hear the arrogance? That's what gets me. That's what really gets me. Is the absolute pretentious arrogance of the workspace salvationists the holier than thou's we we unlike you once saved always savers we save ourselves like, that's literally what they're like they're so arrogant so self-righteous oh my goodness second peter 2 20 to 22 is an example but the full force of Second Peter two twenty to twenty two. All right, so let's look at Second Second Peter, chapter two. Let's take a look here. This is amazing, absolutely amazing. I hope these folks see this reaction video. I should send it to them. All right, Second Peter chapter two. What are we looking at? Verses twenty to twenty two. But we gotta understand context. Okay. Uh, Okay. <laughs> okay, so if we actually take a look at the context, uh, let's say chapter two, Second Peter chapter two, verse one, but they were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who shall privily bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought that brought them. And bring them bring upon themselves swift destruction and many shall follow their pernicious ways okay uh and if god for if god spared not sinned the 30 angels that sinned but cast them down to hell deliver them into chains and spared not the old world save noah verse 6 and turned the cities of sodom and gomorrah to ashes Verse 7, delivered just lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Uh, verse 8, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And the Lord the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and deliver the, the unjust into the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lusts of uncleanness and despise governments, presumptuous are they self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not really accusation against them before the Lord. But these angels are natural brute beasts made to be taken, destroyed, speak evil of things. They shall receive the reward 
having eyes full of adultery, the angels having eyes full of adultery, they cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls because they fight against our souls. And heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed they have forsaken the right way, going to have to bathe them the son of bear, but was rebuked for his iniquity. These are wells of that water. The angels that fall, the fallen angels are wells of that water. Verse 17, wells of that water, clouds who carried about in tempests. Now, for when they, the ain't the fallen angels, speak great swelling words of vanity, they through their lust. Well, they promise them liberty. They themselves are servants of corruption. For if they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge. Uh, okay, uh, let's back up here. I missed something. For, for when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh. Through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, if the same is it brought in bondage. Okay, so if a man overcomes what these fallen angels are trying to do. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. It has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again. Okay, talking about the fight, the battle in this world, how the fallen angels war against us, the kinds of things they are, brute beasts, uh, foaming out their own filth and all of this, and about how they're trying to turn souls from the Lord, turn souls from the Lord. And as we see at the end of verse 19, a man is overcome the same as he's brought to bondage. A man, a man overcomes these things. How does he overcome? Through the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, if uh, now the, the context here we see in verse 20, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge, that's the word right there. Okay. The knowledge of the Lord Jesus Question for you folks. Is knowledge salvation? Is knowledge salvation? Uh, th this is tied to Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. And that, uh, for it is impossible for those who are once enlightened. Enlightenment is head knowledge, knowledge. Once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift. Not eaten, tasting. It's a tasting. And were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, so the Spirit of God gave them understanding of the gospel. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away, that means to reject it. To reject what was offered. For if, after, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, this man that, is, that has overcome uh, by, by, by seeing what the world is about and that the devils are trying to keep him in that trap of sin and darkness, but he's overcome that by get, he's given an understanding and that the devils can't keep him in this. And now he, he's in this state of enlightenment of the gospel. The spirit of God is upon him, giving him the understanding. He sees the cross before him. The devils aren't just blinding him. His eyes are now open to the truth. He cannot see it. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein the ways of the devils and of sin and darkness and over and overcome 
and and overcome the latter end is worse in them than the beginning for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after that to have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them that's what that's saying there so you see that so you see this so you want to understand the full context of the story what is happening about how the devils are trying to keep these ones blind to keep their eyes blind to keep their minds dark to keep them trapped in their sin to fight against uh, the ways of righteousness to keep them in their sin the spirit of god comes upon them opens their understanding gives them the enlightenment opens their eyes they're made partakers of the holy ghost they see this truth they they are spared the entrapment of the devils for a time here and they're given understanding the devils can't can't blind them any uh, anymore at this at this moment the spirit of god is upon them they see the truth if the, if they become entangled again and are overcome it's better for them that, that they had never known it to, to begin with that then to as it says in hebrews 6 4 to 6 to fall back and resist if they shall fall away how hard it is to renew them again that's that saying that's a, that's what that's saying this guy is completely cherry picking it and he doesn't know what he's talking about let's back up second peter 2 20 to 22 is an example but the full force of second peter 2 20 to 22 is seen when it's considered in conjunction with how St. Peter describes the state of grace slash the state of partaking in the divine nature just one chapter before in 2 Peter 1, 3-4. Okay, let's go over this one more time. And some people are saying this is a little confusing. I'll clarify this one more time. We have to approach this. So let's, let's, build, let's build up a foundation first. We understand the salvation is by grace, right? Salvations by grace, which is the unmerited favor of God, by believing faith. That's believing trust. Faith is not works. Faith is not faithfulness, right? So by grace, you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves, right? Now, when we, when we understand that salvation is by grace through faith and not of works, not by righteous works, not by works of the law, we understand the Bible very clearly teaches you cannot lose your salvation, it cannot be taken away, it cannot be recanted. So therefore, any of that context of works-based, law-based, salvation loss theory cannot be placed upon Scripture. So we know that when we come across passages like 2 Peter 2 here, this works-based ideology isn't even an option and so therefore the context cannot even remotely apply to that kind of an ideology but rather what we see here if we back up in second peter chapter 2 this passage here is talking about the battle of for the battle for souls the battle for souls as we see the context we back up uh, in cha chapter 2 verse 1 talking about false prophets false teachers false prophets false teachers and how and how they are servants of heresy servants of darkness and we see as well uh, how they the false prophets false teachers are just like the fallen angels but the fallen angels have more power 
They have more power, more abilities, and they fight against us that much more. And he goes on to describe the kinds of things that they do. The kinds of things that they portray and teach. And ways that they keep our minds in darkness. How they keep our minds in darkness and our eyes blinded. So, just as we see in verse 17 of 2 Peter chapter 2, these, the fallen angels, are wells without water, clouds that are carried about with a tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. They are, they are sealed in, in their choice as fallen angels. They're sealed in this, and they're going to inherit the darkness of hell forever. All right? They, the fallen, speak great swelling words of vanity. They are lured through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness. Those that were clean escape from them who live in air. So uh, how they, they promise liberty and promise these kinds of things, all power and the stuff. They promise you anything to keep you in this state, to keep you in the sinful state, blinded in darkness forever. That's what they try to do. But the Spirit of God comes, comes upon an individual, pushes the devils back. And the Spirit of God, as Hebrews 6, 4-6 goes on to explain, what he does is he then gives the enlightenment. Your mind is cleared. Oh, I see what the cross is about. I see how I'm a sinner. I see what that passage is saying now. Oh, I get it. Knowledge. The understanding. The enlightenment. The Spirit of God comes upon them. But if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, sin of the world, the darkness of the world, through the knowledge, not salvation. Knowledge is not salvation. Knowledge is enlightenment. Knowledge is understanding. Knowledge is, is of the mind, not of the heart. Salvation is of the heart, not the mind. Okay? Okay? Salvation is of the heart, not the mind. So we see the knowledge comes upon them if these ones who are under the knowledge, under the enlightenment, under the enlightenment, if they shall fall away, how hard it is to renew them again. The knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if they, the unsaved, the unsaved individual who is now under the knowledge and enlightenment of the Spirit of God, if they become entangled again and overcome by their sins, the latter end is worse than it was before. There you go. Comment. Ah, I get it now. Awesome. Great. Anyone else? Please, please. I want to make sure we're clear on these things before we move along. Please, if you have any questions on this, please ask away. There's no shame, no any of that. Please don't be embarrassed. I need you to ask questions if you're not sure. The point of these videos, the point of these videos that I do here is to teach proper biblical doctrine to show you what the bible actually says and how to refute the these heretical nonsenses like the catholic church please if you have any doubts on this stuff please feel free to ask away okay <clears throat> okay uh rosalie says i had sort of trouble uh back up okay Rosie says, I have history with this passage from Hebrews. Hebrews 6, 4-6. I got interested and went back and forth between Christianity and New Age shamanism and thought that I could never be saved because of that passage. Brother Matthew explained that passage to me some years ago. I got born again saved. 
uh, never looked back. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, yeah, I had problems with that passage. Okay, so the Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over Hebrews 6, 4 to 6 itself. I'm going to walk you through this. Just show it one more time, okay? Just for everybody, for everyone's benefit, just so you know what I'm talking about. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened. Enlightenment. Enlightenment is head knowledge. Head knowledge. That light bulb moment. Oh, I get it. That's what that is. Enlightenment is of the mind, not of the heart. Enlightenment is knowledge, not salvation. Enlightenment is knowledge, not salvation. For it is impossible for those for those individuals who, re, who were once enlightened and have tasted. Now, a tasting is not feasting. We, we as saints feast on the word. We eat of the bread. But a tasting is like what I've talked before. When you go to Walmart or go to a grocery store, or go to Target or Costco or wherever as you go, uh, maybe not Target, but uh, you go to these these places uh, and they have those little kiosk desk things by the entry door or somewhere at the end of one of the aisles and they have a, have a lady there. She's got the gloves on and she's got the display. She has those tiny little paper cups with whatever it is for a tasting. You can taste it so you can see what it's like before you purchase the whole thing, right? tasting not you haven't received the full thing it's just a tasting of what it's like okay and have tasted of the heavenly gift we're made partakers of the holy ghost because it's the spirit of god that gives you the understanding of the scriptures it's the spirit of god that gives you the uh, the conviction of sin that draws you the spirit of god that saves the spirit of god is working on this individual to bring them to the understanding so that that person can then believe on the lord can make the choice to believe Okay, we're made partakers of the Ghost and have tasted the good word of God. That in this moment of enlightenment, their eyes are open. They're like, oh, that's what John 3.16 means. There you go. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away. This person isn't saved yet. This person has just been brought to the cross their eyes are open their mind was open so they could see and understand and hear what it's all about and then they reject it oh, you know what i don't want it they fall away how hard it is to renew them again because well what's to draw them because they've already seen it all they've already got the glimpse through the keyhole they already know what it's about what's to draw them the, the hebrew 6 4 to 6 is talking about an unsaved individual rejecting the gospel of jesus christ that's what it's talking about and hebrew 6 4 to 6 is the brother passage of second peter chapter 2 verses 20 to 21 they're both saying the same thing they're both saying the same thing. They're both addressing the same context. Do you see that? Please let me know. Let me know if that makes sense. Please let me know if this is clear to you. If you have any questions on this, please ask. Please ask. Okay, uh, level 10 here says, basically, if God reveals himself to a non-believer, an unsaved person 
and he still does not get saved and goes back to the state of denying the cross, it's going to be a rough time getting them back to the truth. Bang on. Gold star. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. That's exactly what it's saying. That's exactly what it's saying. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Okay, so uh, we need to back up again here and see what this crazy Catholic is saying. If partaking in the divine nature, just one chapter before, in 2 Peter 1, 3 to 4. The two it was 2 Peter 1, 3 to 4. His divine power that granted uh, to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge. See, there it is again. You need to pay attention to the specific words. Knowledge is not salvation. The Catholic says, yes, it is. Now you see where the Catholics are coming from. Two passages considered together show without any doubt that 2 Peter 2, 20-22 teaches that people who have been washed... Oh, so I see what he's doing. I see what he's doing. Okay. Yeah, he's trying. He's taking two completely different passages and trying to meld them together to try to justify his idea of loss of salvation. Okay. Okay. And escape the defilements of the world through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that is, have reached the state of partaking in the divine nature that he describes in 2 Peter 1, 3-4, can fall from that state and be lost. No. But since it takes a bit longer to make that point, Galatians 5, 19-21 is, in my view, the best passage. Mm, so no, but I'm sorry. Your degree came from a bubblegum machine. So, according to the teaching of St. Paul and the Bible, those who have actually become the sons of God and put on Christ will not inherit the kingdom of God if they commit grave sins. Then the blood of your Christ is less powerful than sin. Sins are more powerful than the blood of your Christ. That's ultimately what you're saying there, bud. You're, say, you're saying that, that there are sins that are more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. Maybe your Christ, bud. Because your Christ needs his mommy. That's the teaching of the Bible. Anyone who teaches otherwise rejects the teaching of the Bible. No, 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 no. We don't reject the teaching of the Bible. We reject the Vatican. I reject the Catholic Church. I reject the Catholic Church. I reject the Catholic Church's teaching. I reject the authority of the Catholic Church. I reject your Pope. It's rejecting you, the Catholic Church, not the Bible, because the Bible rejects you. And teaches a false gospel. No, you just cursed the gospel of Jesus Christ there, bud. Faith alone and once justified. <laughs> Showing Martin Luther and Calvin. How did, how did I know that this they were somehow going to grab? Because they hate these men so much. They hate that anyone has anything to do with the Reformation because it, it because what the Reformation did was broke the absolute iron stranglehold that the Catholic Church had on the whole world. It always justified our unbiblical lies and everyone who promotes. Whoa, I need to hear that again. What did you say? And teaches a false gospel. Wow. Faith alone and once justified, always justified our unbiblical lies. Did you hear that? Faith alone. And teaches a false gospel. 
Faith alone and once justified, always justified are unbiblical lies. Once justified, always justified is an unbiblical lie, says the devil. And everyone who promotes either one of them is a heretic and a deceiver. <laughs> really? Well, I, I guess from the Catholic standpoint, I'm a heretic and deceiver because I, I oppose and teach completely against the Catholic Church. All right. So if you believe in one saved, always saved, you're apparently a heretic and a deceiver. I've been called every name under the sun. I've been cursed with every way up and down and through the middle. Yeah. <laughs> so says the most holy family monastery. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's video one. Wow. All right. Any questions? Any questions? Yeah, there's Paris here says, what an awful way to live. Yeah, that the idea that, that you have to earn your salvation, you have to work for your salvation, that your salvation can be lost. You're in a perpetual state of fear and torment. You're in a perpetual state of fear and torment because you have no idea if you're truly saved. If you're believing that salvation can be lost, taken away, or be recanted, you can never, ever, ever say that you know for sure you're going to heaven. You can never say that. You have no assurance of faith, even though the Bible teaches it. Yeah. Correct. Uh, <laughs> Holy monastery. H-O-L-E-Y. <laughs> Doctrines full of holes. <laughs> Someone should write them, say, say, uh, sorry there, monastery, you, you misspelled your name. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so tempted to do that. Okay. Um, uh, level 10 says, are we doing general questions? Because I got one that's keeping me up at night. Uh, yes, we, uh, I said, said uh, at the beginning, yeah, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights, go ahead, ask away. Uh, but firstly, I want to get through these videos and then we'll just open up the floor to whatever else is on the floor. So please, if you got anything you want to talk about, go ahead. And again, it's in sequence of order. They come in. So we, uh, we're not going to be going like three, four hours today, hopefully. So anyways, the next video is a bit of a doozy. As I mentioned, uh, uh, this one is from Bible Flock box now bible flock box youtube channel is a seventh day adventist channel they're seventh day adventists not christians seventh day adventism is not christian the sda is not christian they are works based salvationists that believe that jesus is michael the archangel and that you have to earn your salvation and salvation can be lost and hell doesn't exist there's some weird thing no no, no not the hell doesn't exist they believe in uh uh soul sleep which is unbiblical too so yeah, anyways, we're going to take a look at what they have to say. All right, let's get to the second one. So we got to change this video. Media source, properties, browse. Where is it? There we go. Open. Okay. this one again i have not gone through this video 
I have no idea where he's going to be coming from. This is a blind test for me. <laughs> a blind test. So, grab your Bibles. Let's take a look, see what happens. Rosalie says, honestly, I don't understand how anyone can question salvation by faith since we have Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It doesn't get clearer than this. End of discussion. Amen. Exactly. Amen. So you see how they don't believe in the Bible. They don't believe in Sola Scriptura. Well, that that's exactly it. The Catholic Church does not believe in Sola Scriptura. They don't. Just like the Orthodox Church does not believe in Sola Scriptura. That they believe the, the Bible and all of their other writings and the papal decrees and everything else. Uh, the Bible is just one of the authorities. But anyways. Okay, so let's get to this one. Bible Flock Box, a Seventh-day Adventist YouTube YouTube channel. And he has a doozy for us. Is uh, He apparently has a whole bunch of proofs against once saved, always saved. So let's take a look. All right. I do have to say I'm a bit jealous at the intros. They got some really nice animation and music and stuff. But that's all they got because they have no biblical uh, meat. Hello and welcome to my channel. I'm Greg, the creator of Bible Flockbox. And in this video, I'm going to be talking about 10 scriptures that refute the doctrine of once saved, always saved. <laughs> Alright, 10... 10? Oh boy. Okay. I've not seen this. I just came across this video. I'm like, oh, it looks interesting. So I downloaded it and I put it on the program here so we can take a look at it. I have no idea what arguments he's going to be bringing. Lord, help me. Help me preach your word to contend for the faith. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All right. 10 scriptures that refute once saved, always saved. I've chosen to do this video because of comments that I have received on some of my videos from individuals that claim that once you are saved, you can never lose your salvation. What's with the science fiction music? He's got some, some real science fiction sci-fi techie music in the background like it's some like it's an action movie there are millions of christians around the world that believe this but it is not biblical before presenting scriptures to refute once saved always saved i'm going to give you some of the history behind it oh this is going to be good this is going to be good once saved always saved was not a doctrine that was taught by the early church are you reading it's not a doctrine taught by the early church oh my goodness sakes alive i don't even know where to where to start there's so much and yes it did because it 
Well, Ephesians 2.8.9, as Rosalie said right there. We see that all down through. John. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Thank you, Lord. John chapter 3. Let's look at John chapter 3. What did Jesus say? John chapter 3. Let's start at verse 15, shall we? He's talking to Nicodemus. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. When you believe on the Lord, you're not going to perish. Why? Because you have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him, believeth in him, should not perish. You can't perish. Once you believe, you can't perish. But have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Um, question. Just a question. Saved. If, if you could lose your salvation, you could be thrown back into the waters that are drowning you. The lifeguard just comes and just grabs you by, by the collar, pulls you up out of the water. He says, okay, now you got to keep treading water. I'm going to let go. You better keep treading water. I'm going to let go. You better do what I tell you. Or I'm going to let go and you're drowning again. Is that saved? If God could just throw you back into the fire, throw you back into the into damnation, is that saved? You could be cast out of his hand, plucked out of his hand and thrown back in. Is that saved? That's not saved. That's not saved. He that believeth on him, verse 18, John 3, 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Belief saves. If you believe, no condemnation. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus said, once saved, always saved. Bro, you don't even believe in Jesus. Or by any well-known theologian before. I got back up. See what this moron's saying. Of the history. Hey, it's FYI. Jesus said the same word to the Pharisees. If you actually take a look when Jesus called the Pharisees fools in the Greek, that actually is moros, which actually means moron. Jesus actually was literally calling the Pharisees morons. FYI, I'm just saying. I can't stand this nonsense. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> he looks like he has to cut his sandwiches into fourths. <laughs> okay. Okay, let's get going. Let's try to get serious here. Uh. History behind it. 
Once saved, always saved was not a doctrine that was taught by the early church or by any well-known theologian. And not by any well-known theologian. Once saved, always saved is not taught by any well-known theologian. Really? You mean like these guys? Me like any of these guys? What books are you reading? If you take a look at any of the, these works it, it, by these, some of these great preachers, George Mueller Bristol, Charles Spurgeon, J.C. Ryle, V. Raymond Edmund, Leonard Ravenhill, A.W. Tozer, and on and on and on and on and on. Andrew Murray, Arthur Pink, Dr. Henry Morris, some powerful, powerful stuff in the Gospel of Christ and doctrines of the Bible. Powerful theologians. Like, seriously. I don't know where these people get some of their ideas. I really don't. It, it's, it's, it's incredible. Before John Calvin. Wait, what? Back up. That was taught by the early church or by any well-known theologian before John Calvin. Before John Calvin. You mean like the apostles? It is, in fact, completely foreign in the history of Christianity. Arrogance. Again, such absolute arrogance. John Calvin was the first theologian to introduce this into Christianity. No, he wasn't. I'm telling you folks, I have not seen this video. I, I, I actually am speechless here. I don't even know what to say. This guy is out to lunch. Yeah, he's just making it up as he goes. He's just making it up. I got back up again that was taught by the early church or by any well-known theologian before John Calvin. It is, in fact, completely foreign in the history of Christianity. John Calvin was the first theologian to introduce this into Christianity. In case you didn't know, John Calvin was an influential French theologian and pastor during the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. Some of the aspects of Calvin's teachings included that God had already determined who was and who was not going to be saved, and that man does not have free will. Okay. I'll give you a point for that. You're right there. John Calvin did uh, what was the, the primary massive influence into Calvinistic theology, Calvinistic ideology, which we've gone over Calvinism before. I'm not doing that again. So you're right regarding that aspect of Calvin, that this is what Calvin did do. Sure. But dude, you're two fries short of a Happy Meal. He also taught in a limited atonement, which means that Jesus' sacrifice only covers the elect sin. Right. However, there are many scriptures that refute those teachings. That, that refute limited atonement unconditional election, right. But in this video, I'm going to be specifically including scriptures that reveal that you can lose your salvation after you have been saved. <clears throat>
challenge accepted. Okay. All right. Challenge accepted. Let's go. Let's go. Bring it. Bring it. What's this? It comments here. Uh, Eris asks, Seventh-day Adventist Calvinists? Actually, I don't know. I don't know. Um, that's a good question. I'll have to look that up. Uh, Rosalie says, John 10, 20, Jesus himself, God, says that believers will never perish and that no one can snatch them out of his hand. So Jesus himself taught, once saved, always saved. You cannot refute Jesus. God cannot lie. 100%. Amen. Okay. Uh, let's, let's get going. Let's take this challenge. You have the free will to reject Jesus at any time in your Wow, what? We're going to be specifically including scriptures that reveal that you can lose your salvation after you have been saved. You have the free will to reject Jesus at any time in your life. So let's get started. I see where he's coming from. Okay, I know where he's coming from. He's a hyper-Armenian. He's a hyper-Armenian. Okay, so we see in the Armenian ideology uh, versus the Calvinistic. This is why he attacked Calvin. All right, so now it makes sense. Now, okay, now I'm putting it together. I see where they're coming from. You see, under the, the, uh, uh, under the Calvinistic model uh, is eternal security. Eternal security. Under the Armenian model, by Jacob Arminius, I believe it was, uh, that is the uh, because Calvinism under under this model teaches you have no free will, right? But the Armenian model is is it's all your free will that you you choose to save yourself, you choose to unsave yourself, and that it's uh, that we are are hyper free will. You see, both camps are wrong on this and that there's a middle ground. But, but regarding salvation, you can't lose your salvation. There is free will. There is the sovereignty of God, but salvation is permanent. So, um, but this guy, he's coming from the Ar Armenian camp of hyper free will that you can choose to unsave yourself and save yourself like, like, like it's a mystic game or something. But anyways, so that's where he's coming from. All right, so, all right, now I have a better idea of what he is, where he's coming from. He's a Seventh-day Adventist. He's a hyper-Armenian. Okay, what kind of nonsense do you got for me? Started. Scripture number one, Galatians chapter five, verse four. All right, take your Bibles. Now, what is the rule? No cherry picking. Um, so we need full context. Yeah, it's Galatians 5. Let's see what he says. It reads, Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. Okay. <laughs> exactly, Ralph. Everyone loses their salvation but him. Exactly. <laughs> All right, religious obstinance. Okay, let's see. So if we back up, and we take a look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. 
Okay, so the theme of Galatians first is this is why it's so important to study your Bible, not cherry pick it like these cults. So why do we study our Bible? So we can understand full context, what is actually going on, what is actually being said, and all of that. So the context here, we see the book of Galatians, if you back up to chapter 1, is Paul is writing to them because that he has gone there, preached the gospel, many got saved, he started a church, he taught them, and he moved on to the next church. But but then came behind Paul were the Judaizers, the law keepers, who, who came to them, taught them that they have to keep the law, and that Paul's gospel of grace is wrong, and that they are still bound to the law. And so the, these Judaizers were pulling the Galatians into law keeping. And Paul came back to them, write to them how how that's wrong that that we're not under the law we're under grace and there's now therefore uh, there's no condemnation to us and that that we're by grace and we see the whole book of galatians is all about the refutation of having to keep law okay so we see see that is the context in galatians chapter 5 verse 1 stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith christ has made us free grace and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage law behold i paul say unto you that it should, that if ye be circumcised christ shall profit you nothing if you're looking because of the outward the circumcision of the flesh it's not the circumcision of the flesh it's the circumcision of the heart for, you, for one is not a jew which is one outwardly but one is a jew which is one inwardly for it is of the heart it's all about the heart. It's not about the heads. It's not about the Phariseeism and the phylacteries and the deeds and the works and the law keeping and the circumcision of the flesh and all of that. It's not about that. That's what Judaizers are saying. That it is about that. Paul's saying that has nothing to do with it. As you see, that if there had been a law which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But it's not. So you see, this is the context. Christ shall profit you nothing. If you're looking to the law, you're not looking to Christ. You're looking at yourself. You're trying to save yourself, but you're not looking to Christ. You're looking at law keeping. You're not looking at grace. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. You're a debtor to keep all of the law, but you can't because that's not what the law was for. The law is to show you that, that you're a sinner. Galatians chapter 3, a schoolmaster teaches you, educates you, shows you how you're a sinner and you need to be saved. But we can't save ourselves because there's no goodness in us. We have to look to someone else. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, he's a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever you are justified by law, for you are fallen from grace. You're rejecting the grace of Christ and you're trying to keep the law? Because you, you can't bind law and grace. It's one or the other. If, you're, if, you, if you turn to keep the law, you're rejecting the grace. That doesn't mean you're, you, you lose salvation. What it means is you're binding yourself to something that you're not supposed to, that isn't going to work for you, and you're ignoring the grace of Jesus Christ. Context here. You, Galatians, the saved. That you, you're, you're not following and walking after grace. You're now following and walking after law. You've fallen from grace and keeping law. That does not mean you lost your salvation. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Please, someone tell me that makes sense.
Um, Matthew Martin here says, you can always tell what the cults are because there's only one of each in the city. For example, uh, the LDS, the Mormons, the JWs, Jehovah's Witnesses, or the SDA, Seventh-day Adventists, right? Yeah, and uh, the Mormons, well, there's basically no difference between them and the Scientologists. And Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus, Michael the Archangel, and you get to heaven by knocking on doors. Seventh-day Adventists, yeah, it's all about law-keeping. Okay. Uh, uh, Raul says, this ties to Romans 11.6. Let's take a look at Romans 11.6 for a second. Like I said, folks, I have not seen these videos, so I got to do a proper critique. <laughs> Romans 11.6, and if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. And if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no is no more work. Exactly. That's just literally what I was just saying. Excellent. Thank you for bringing that up. Romans 11.6. Is you can't have works and grace. You can't have law and grace. If you pick if you pick works or law, you're rejecting grace. That is what Paul is saying in Galatians 5 verse 4. This guy, this guy is saying no, but, but rather fallen from grace means is you've fallen from salvation no no if that meant if galatians 5 4 actually means fallen from salvation it would say fallen from salvation and the Bible then wouldn't would not go on to teach about full assurance of the faith and that ye may know that you're saved and that and would not go on to say that salvation is not by works, not by righteous works, not by works of the law. It would then say that it is by works, is by righteous works, and is by works of the law. See, this guy doesn't even know what the Bible says. Anyways, let's move on. Let's back up. It reads Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law ye are fallen from grace. Here it talks about Christians who apparently started out in a relationship with Jesus in a faith-based way, but then somewhere along the line attempted to justify themselves by their works. Paul told them they were fallen from grace. Um, you know, It, it, it blows my mind. Absolutely dumbfounds me. How people can come to those conclusions. It just, it, it really, really proves when the Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them for they are spiritually discerned. Uh, it, it just, it really, really proves that the Spirit of God is not on these individuals. But how, how grotesquely they are twisting and perverting the scriptures. It, it, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. That indicates that someone can reject the grace of God no. after receiving it. Okay, oh, hold up one second. There is, however, 
there is an aspect of what he said here that is true. Now, let me clarify. Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. You can resist the grace of God by not getting saved in the first place. That's the only time you can resist the grace of God. But by actually falling away from grace in the context of going uh, going into sin is by not getting saved in the first place. But once you are saved, you cannot be removed. It cannot be taken away. It cannot be recanted. You cannot be plucked out of the Father's hand. He will never leave you, never abandon you. You are sealed unto the day of redemption, and you may know that you have eternal life, and, and you are not condemned. But once you are saved, you can't you can't fall from salvation. That's the only I just want to throw throw that in, because I need to be very specific in what I say here, because I don't want someone to misunderstand or misinterpret what I'm saying. Okay, again, folks, any comments, questions, issues, insights on this as we go along, please please ask away. All right, let's go. They can end up lost after they have been saved. No. Scripture number two. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Hebrews 3, 12. Take your Bibles. Hebrews 3, 12. Now, we need context, so we need to back up. Well, I have to back up to verse 1. Okay, but let's just see what this guy says first. <laughs> Ralph says, I hope none of the 10 scriptures he's about to mention about the dietary law because I'm having some pork right now. Oh, I'm jealous. Oh, man, some ribs, some good pork ribs. Oh, yeah. Barbecued, uh, some barbecued pork ribs with some shellfish. Mm, right on. Oh, by the way, Seventh-day Adventists also condemn caffeine. Uh, so they actually say coffee is a sin. So, mm, tasty sin. I've had Seventh-day Adventists attack me like crazy because Christian coffee time. <gasps> Coffee's a sin. Uh-huh. Okay, let's see what this guy has to say. Here it says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Paul was evidently writing to Christians here since he called them brethren, and he warned them of the danger of departing from God. That indicates that we have the free will to walk away from God. Let's see what the Bible actually says. So we got to go back to verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 3. So he wanted verse 12, so we got to back up to verse 1. Look at the full context. All right. <clears throat> What's being said? Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that, that appointed him, as also Moses is faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. Okay. Similarly, as Paul writing Galatians, to the church of Galatia because the Judaizers were trying to pull them into law keeping, right? Well, we see the writer of Hebrews was doing doing the same thing because the saints here were wanting to go back into the old way of keeping the law. 
the following Moses and the law. And the writer of Hebrews here is trying to show them how Christ is better than Moses. Grace is greater and better than law. And why we should follow Christ and grace rather than Moses and law. That's the context here of what he's talking about. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who had built the house had more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some men, but he that built all things is God. Talking about Jesus. He built the faith. Jesus is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. And he's talking about, because he's writing to the Jews. He's writing to the Jews who want to go back to law-keeping of, of the Mosaic law-keeping. He's telling them, don't be like your forefathers who hardened their heart in the wilderness against the ways of God. Don't be like this. Don't harden your hearts against, against Christ. Don't harden your hearts against grace. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, they, they, the forefathers, do always err in the hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren writing to the Jews that want to go back to Mosaic law-keeping. Take heed, brethren, brethren, the saved, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Can Christians be deceived? Yes. Can Christians be deceived? Yes. Can Christians be deceived and take on, like, the crazy dietary ideas that Christians can't eat pork or shellfish when the Bible totally says you can. Yes, Christians can be deceived into that. Can Christians be deceived into the idea of unconditional election, limited atonement of Calvinism? Yes, absolutely. Can Christians be deceived into an idea that they have to keep the law? Yes. God says that's evil. Just as lying is evil, coveting is evil. Can, can Christians lie? Can Christians covet? Can Christians commit sin? Yes. Lest it be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Departing from the way of Christ. That is, Christ has set of by grace that we, can, that we, like the Galatians, can decide to, it can be deceived and decide to take on the idea of law keeping. Think that we have to be like a, like good, a good Jew in Judaism. That's what he's talking about there. This is not saying departing from the living God as meaning losing salvation. This is not a salvationary passage. This is not saying departing from salvation. This is saying departing from the living God is in context, in context of departing from the path of grace and going down the path of law. That's what that's saying. He totally misinterpreted misrepresented this passage by not putting in proper context of who's who's talking who is he's talking to what they're talking about see the cults completely hyper cherry pick out of context a single verse or part of a verse that that in and of itself by itself would give some seeming semblance of justification to their cultish doctrines okay
Scripture number 3, Exodus chapter 32, verses 31 through 33. Here, Moses pleaded with God to forgive the Israelites for worshipping the golden calf. Verses 31 through 32 state, and Wow, you're you're gonna pull that as salvationary? Wow, dude. Wow. Okay. Moses returned unto the Lord and said, "Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written." I see what he's doing. Oh, okay. What God says next in verse 33 is significant. It states, And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. This is talking about the book of life. No, I, 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 okay. I'm going to pause you right there, buddy. <clears throat> now, this is a question I get often. A lot of people... Um, get confused about this, about difference between <laughs> Judge Judy kind of themes. <laughs> yeah. What was I talking about? Um, uh, books. Okay. Yeah. Book. <laughs> All right. All right. So, okay. <laughs> um all right now okay what was i talking about all right so we see in the bible that yes 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 the bible does talk about now being blotted out of the book of life right the bible does say that but what does that mean let's see what he has to say because that is the only book that people's names get blotted out of nope that's wrong for sinning nope according to revelation chapter 3 verse 5 which says he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment and i will not blot out his name out of the book of life but i will confess his name before my father and before his angels the book of life records those who are saved for nope no it doesn't for example revelation chapter 20 verse 15 reads and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Uh, you're using a different version, which is omitting an actual important word written, out of, written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, some other Bible versions actually omit the word lambs, that it, which is immensely, immensely important because there's two books. There's two books. I'll show you. There is a difference. There is a difference between the book of life and the Lamb's book of life. The Bible actually speaks of the two. It actually mentions the two. You see, the book of life, in general, the book of life, is for those who are living, that were born physically, that are alive. This is why Jesus also talks about in John chapter 3, you must be born again born again so you see you're born once into into life you're written in the book of life and then you're born again and you're written in the lamb's book of life see we see here now your your physical life can be blotted out ananias and sapphira 
the man caught in fornication, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. As it says, how he'll be destroyed, but his spirit is still saved. His body is destroyed, but his spirit is still saved. Also shown by Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. The Lamb's book of life is for those who are born again spiritually, John 3, 3 to 7. And you cannot be removed or blotted from the Lamb's book of life. You can't be taken out of my hand. I, my Father, are one. You cannot lose your salvation. But serious disobedience and rebellion can cause the Lord to end your life, your physical life, and bring you home because you are defiling the temple. He who defiles the temple, him shall God destroy, like Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira were saved. The first book of life deals with those who died in their sins and cannot enter heaven. He, Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books, plural, books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. But if you back up context, is the hell was brought up. Hell was brought up, and they are judged for their sins. The second book, the Lamb's Book of Life, deals with those born again and have their sins washed away. Revelation 21, verse 27. And, the, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. In context, it's speaking about heaven. None can enter into it, heaven, except those who are in the Lamb's book of life, the saved. If one could be struck out of the Lamb's book of life, nullifying the second birth, and that then would denote salvation is by maintenance of works to enter, uh, to earn to gain salvation, enter into heaven. Salvation is a free gift. And once written in the Lamb's book of life, you're saved. Once saved, always saved. But if, you're, but if you're just physically alive, your name is written in the book of life. You are alive and your life can be taken. The physical life can be taken. But once you're born again, your spirit is written in the Lamb's book of life and is held in the hand of the hand of the Father, held in the hand of the Son. I and the Father are one. And you cannot be taken away. Make sense? Does that make sense? All right. So if your name could be removed from the book of life for sinning against God, that means you can lose your salvation. Nope. Just like I showed you. Scripture number four, John chapter 15, verses five through six. Oh, I know where he's going with that one. <clears throat> okay, John 15. Grab your Bibles, John 15. Here Jesus said, Okay, I see he's doing. This is a classic. This is classic uh, works-based salvationist argument on this one. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Here Jesus makes it plain that we need to abide in him. The word abide means remain. In other words, we need to stay in a relationship with Jesus. It is our choice whether or not we want to do that. Nope. Let's take a look. All right. Completely, completely wrong. This guy is just dreadful in his theology. Absolutely dreadful. 
But yeah, this is totally Judge Judy music. <laughs> Absolutely is. I, I, I'm curious if I was to actually take the, the backtrack here and put it to Judge Judy. I, I'm, I'll bet you it's pretty much the same thing. Anyways, John 15, verse 1. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Context here, as we see, is talking about discipleship and conviction and teaching and understanding and how the Lord will help and guide and guard in all things, right? Okay, every branch. So we are in him. He's the vine. We're the branches. We produce fruit. And if we're not producing fruit, what does the Lord do? He convicts us. He teaches us. He instructs us. He chastises us to purge us. Right? He purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Right? Because we have no goodness in ourselves, no righteousness in ourselves. All that we can produce is from the Spirit of Christ that lives in us. Out of you will flow springs of living water, the water of life which comes from Him. Right? Abide in me and I in you. See, if we abide, if we live in Him, if we live in Him, He'll produce that much more in us. Right? Abide means to abode, your home, your life, your, you live in Him. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. All right? Um, so we see in verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Okay, verse 6. This is the question. Verse 6. If a man abide not in me, if you don't abide in me, and if you don't listen to my correction, if you don't follow me, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. Okay. What, what, what is that? Your body will die, but your spirit is saved. Okay. Uh, but it, uh, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them. Men gather them. That's interesting. It doesn't say angels gather them, or it doesn't say God gathers them. It says men gathers them. So if you're not abiding, if you're not staying with, you wander off, men gather you, he is, ca he is cast forth as a branch and is with you, become withered. If you're not abiding in him, you're cast off, broken off, separated from that which can bring the fruit, that which can bring the life, that which can bring the source, the nutrition. This guy's was a branch and is withered. You wither up. Your faith withers. Your faith withers. Men gather them. The temptation of the world of the unsaved and the people of this world gather you up and take you into themselves and, and cast them into the fire and they are burned. So we see uh, this is a physical context. This is about physical life. This is not spiritual life. This is as we see that your body can die, but your spirit is saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. The difference in the body and the spirit. Remember what I said about the Catholics. The Catholic, the, the Catholic ideology is they are incapable of separating the flesh and the spirit, seeing the dichotomy of the two. And what they wind up doing, what the cults do, is they take both, unify them as one unit. And they can't see the difference of the battle between flesh and spirit. 
that it, that abiding in is is walking in in discipleship walking in the lord in faith and belief in all things that if we don't we can wind up in our own lusts of our own desires of our own self and listening to our flesh and our flesh wars against our spirit because the flesh hates the spirit and our spirit hates the flesh and you cannot do the things you would you wind up giving in to the sin of the flesh more you are burned you are burning in the lusts of the flesh and all these things this is not talking about salvation this is talking about discipleship this is discipleship this is discipleship not salvation so we see we are of the lord we're in the lord born again saved sealed sealed in christ we're bearing fruit the fruit bearing is discipleship fruit bearing is discipleship you want to be a disciple this is how you do it but if you don't if you don't stay in this state if you don't con, uh, abide in the lord in discipleship you'll wind up falling back and the flesh will overcome you this is not saying as uh, uh, what they do is they're gonna he's going to say you watch what he's what this guy's going to say is in verse six here is that the, it says here they cast them into the fire they are burned that that's hell no it's not that's the fire of temptation the fire of the flesh this is not hell because you can't because a born-again christian cannot be cast into hell you watch i'll bet you he's probably going to say that we can choose to end that relationship anytime we want if that happens jesus said that our fate is to be cast into the fire to be burned in other words hellfire i was right I was right. See? See? Scripture number five. He All right, sorry. There's a comment here. Uh, level 10 says, where was that verse about getting blotted out of the book of life for sinning? Yeah. Um, he is referring to... Uh, well, I have a couple verses here. Uh, based on Revelation 20, verse 12. Revelation 20, verse 12. And Revelation 21, 27. Revelation 21, 27. As you see, it talks about the book of life and the Lamb's book of life. But yeah, he was referring back to Exodus 32 and, and all of that. Sorry, yeah, you're right. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, he's referring to Exodus 32. But he, he's trying to combine that with the Revelation passage. So, uh but this guy, he's just out to lunch. Okay, what's number five? Halfway. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 27. Okay, I know where he's going with that one. Hebrews 10. Yeah, I know what he's doing. Yeah, uh, I know what he's doing. Okay, so this is a classic. I'll let him spew his nonsense, and then I'll show you what the Bible actually says. There Paul wrote... For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. This is not talking about one sin, by the way. This is talking about continuing in a life of sin after accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Sometimes Christians do sin, at times willfully, at times ignorantly. 
When we become aware of our sins and are convicted, we should repent and confess our sins to God in the name of Jesus. However, if we accept Jesus in our life and then live a life of constant sin, stealing, blaspheming, fornicating, using drugs and alcohol, and we don't repent from that, then Jesus' sacrifice doesn't count for our sins. Wow. Bubblegum machine theology at its finest. Okay. <sighs> Let's take a look at what the Bible actually says. Alright, now... This passage also has been a bone of contention with a lot of uh, professed Christians. As they have a lot of trouble with this one because of what it seems to say. But this is why it's important to study the Bible. Because as we see by many of the passages that it's by grace. And we know what grace is. By faith, we know what faith is. Faith is not works. Faith is not faithfulness. Faith is believing trust. Faith is believing trust, right? All right? Uh, <laughs> thanks, Paris. Thanks. Yeah, you've lost your salvation because you continue in the sin of coffee use. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I'm burning in hell because I drink coffee. Because caffeine is a drug. That's literally what they said. That's literally what Seventh-day Adventists have literally told me. That that uh, caffeine is a drug, that's drug use, that's sin, and you're living in sin. So literally, by that logic, Seventh-day Adventists say, I'm going to hell because I'm continuing in the sin of caffeine drug use by drinking coffee. No joke. That's why it's called Dark Roast. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Level 10, you're just on the roll today. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> Uh, okay. What are we doing? Okay, Hebrews ten twenty six. All right. Now, this is why it's important to break down the words. This is why it's important to look at the context. So I'm going to show you here. Let's let's rewind, rewind the tape just a little bit. Back up. I need to. Where is? Where'd it go? There it is. All right, so see this? Hebrews 10, 26. Now it says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the what? What's that word right there? For, for if we sin willfully, after that we have received the what? Someone say the word, please. After we received the what? We talked about this. We talked about this with the, I believe, with the Catholic, and earlier on in here, as this is what the cultists do. This is what the Catholics do. This is what the cultists do, is they take the word, thank you, knowledge. Knowledge. Knowledge is not salvation. Knowledge is not salvation. Knowledge is head knowledge, the understanding, the enlightenment. The enlightenment. The enlightenment. 
yes, this guy is a Seventh-day Adventist. This guy's a Seventh-day Adventist, SDA. Bible Flock Box. Bible Flock Box YouTube channel is a Seventh-day Adventist channel. So we see, for if we sin willfully, after that we've received the knowledge. Head knowledge. Head knowledge. So, so therefore, we can literally rewrite this first part by saying, for if we sin willfully against, if we sin against, if we reject, if we resist... After that, we've received the knowledge of the truth. There remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking of ju judgment, fire, and indignation. Well, where have we heard that before? Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened. Head knowledge, understanding. That's head knowledge is not heart faith. This is of the mind, not the heart. Salvation is of the heart. Not the brain. This is talking about of the mind. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift or may partake of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again into repentance. Hebrews 10.26 is a repeat, a summarization of Hebrews 6.4-6. These ones are not even saved yet. They're under the knowledge, the enlightenment, the enlightenment. You see that? Knowledge is not salvation. It's just the, the head knowledge, the enlightenment moment of, oh, I get it. But to willfully sin against is to resist. To resist. To resist what you were shown, what you understand, what you see, what you get. You're not saved yet. You resist it. You sin against that and go back. But what he's doing here is he's taking Hebrews 10, 26 and saying that knowledge is salvation. No, it's not. No, it's not. Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Sometimes Christians do sin, at times willfully, at times ignorantly. When we become aware of our sins and are convicted, we should repent and confess our sins to God in the name of Jesus. However, if we accept Jesus in our life and then live a life of constant sin, stealing, blaspheming, fornicating, using drugs and alcohol, and we don't repent from that, then Jesus' sacrifice doesn't count for our sins. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? You see, you may notice as I'm going through, because I haven't seen this video yet. This is my first time through this video. What I like to do is I'm going through, I pause. Just so I can compute what I'm hearing. And I want to pick out the words. I want to pick out the words that he's saying here. Did you hear what he said? Did you catch that? Rewind. Constant sin, stealing, blaspheming, fornicating, using drugs and alcohol. And we don't repent from that. Then Jesus' sacrifice doesn't count for our sins. Repentance is works. He's just, he, what he's just implying right there is working at repentance. If I don't keep repenting from these things, then Jesus' sacrifice is null and void. He's teaching a works-based system of repentance. Repentance, biblical repentance, re biblical repentance is uh, the heart state acknowledgement of the sin state. 
that I see that I'm a sinner. I, I understand what's going on. And repentance means to, means to, uh, like, like I like to use the analogy uh, of the road, driving down the road. Okay. I'm, I'm driving down the road and I'm going this way. I realize I'm going the wrong way. So what do I do? I repent on the road, which means I, I, I'm, I stop going this way and I go in the other direction. It's acknowledgement of a truth as I see and realize that this life of sin and that the sin and all this is condemning me. I see what the Lord is offering and I choose this over this. I believe this over this. Repentance is not works. You see, the seventh day system of repentance is exactly the same as the Catholic way of repentance. You must maintain a state of continual repentance or you can't be saved. That's why their, their, their uh, icon is the crucifix. Their icon is the crucifix, the Catholic crucifix, which shows the dude on the cross. It's not Jesus because Jesus is no longer on the cross. It was a one-time atonement. The cross is empty. But it shows that that's what the crucifix stands for, is continual atonement for continuing sin as we continue to repent to earn our salvation. But the Seventh-day Adventist system, because they believe in Ellen G. White, who is the founder of Seventh-day Adventism, Ellen G. White, she, she believed and taught what's called investigative judgment. Investigative judgment. Where, where at the end, you're going to stand before the Lord, and he's going to investigate your life to see if you're worthy enough to enter, the, enter heaven. See, that's, that's cult. That's unbiblical. That's heretical. So... Uh, he's he, he right here he just hinted at because what he believes in is a works-based system of repentance which is not biblical repentance all right let's move on that's because jesus's sacrifice only counts for the sins that we repent from wow wow his blood only accounts for the sins we repent from. Wow. Okay. So. Wow. Okay. Um. There are so many uh, scriptures that I can I can quote on that one. Uh, the so if. If my salvation, the atonement of Christ, but the blood of Jesus Christ, my salvation is only, only is only given or only in effect if I work at applying the blood of Jesus to my life. I have to repent from everything. And his blood is only imputed upon that which I repent from. So I control the blood of Jesus. I control my destiny. That that the merit and the righteousness, the work, the atonement of Jesus Christ is at my benefit, my will, my power. That's Armenianism, by the way. That uh, that that is completely antithetical to what the Bible actually teaches. Because the blood of Jesus Christ, the atonement of Christ, is all sin. There's now therefore no condemnation. 
to them which are in Christ Jesus. But he just said there is condemnation. If I don't keep repenting, if I don't repent of these sins, then there is condemnation. But the Bible says there's now therefore no condemnation. Neither height, nor depth, nor power, or principality, or any, any other thing. Any other thing. But he says, yes, there is. Because if you don't keep doing this, there is condemnation. But Jesus said, oh, whoever has not believed is condemned already. But those who have believed, there's no condemnation. This guy is completely opposing the Bible. That's why Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted. Yeah! Acts 3 19. Yes, absolutely. Repent therefore be converted that your sins may be blotted up. Who, who is he talking to? Let's go back. Acts chapter 3. 19. Uh, Peter... And now Peter and John went up into the temple. Okay, yeah. And all the people came to him after they healed the lame man. And all drew all the crowd. Drew all the crowd to him. Um, and he's telling them of what Christ did and all this. He's telling the crowd what Christ did. And, he, and then Peter goes on to say in Acts 3, 19, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And times refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Right. Exactly. Mark 1, 15. Repent and believe the gospel, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, but what is repentance? Repentance is not works. Repentance is not works. Repentance is the heart state, acknowledgement of the sin state, and seeing seeing that you're a sinner and you need to be saved, and you believe in Lord Jesus Christ to save you from the condemnation of sin. Repent. This, this is repentance unto salvation. As the Bible says, repentance unto salvation. Repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because you're because you're turning your back on your old way. You're turning to the Lord. You're believing on the Lord. Repent. Be converted to convert to the way of Jesus Christ. Right. And when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Let's go to Acts ten forty three. Acts ten forty three. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth on him shall receive remission of sins. Right. Your sins are forgiven by belief alone in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul, what did Paul say to the jailer? What, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Keep repenting or else you'll go to hell. No. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Saved from what? I'm going to ask that question, folks. Can someone please answer me? Saved from what? We'll say from hell. Why are you going to hell? Because I'm not saved. Saved from what? All your sins. Thank you. All your sins. Saved from sins. Saved from your sins. So you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. From the condemnation of your sins. There you go. This guy doesn't even understand what sin is. He doesn't even understand what the gospel is. Out. Scripture number six, First Corinthians. I'm getting worked up. <laughs> I'm getting tired. This is exhausting. Oh my goodness. 
Okay. It's chapter 9, verses 24. Whoa, sorry. What was the passage you used? Be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Scripture number 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse... 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This guy talks really fast. I'm trying to keep up. Verses 24 through... 24. Oh my goodness, are you seriously going to use this passage? 27. There Paul wrote... Okay, well, i got to move the screen here so you can see it. Wow. Wow, this is low, bro. This is a cheap... This is a cheap shot. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run, that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep my body, and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul compared our Christian journey to a race. He mentioned the importance of self-control and subjection, and indicated that if we don't practice those things in our Christian life, then we will be disqualified from eternal life. No, 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 not even, not even, not e you're not even close. Okay, so for this one, we have to back up to verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. <clears throat> for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Okay, I'm going to pause there just for a second. What he's talking about is I become all things to all men. So like when you go when he goes to uh, the Jews and the Judaizers and all of them, he knows the law he, as he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. So he knows how to work with them. He knows how to speak to them in such a way that they would be able to work with him commune with him so he can witness to them to the ignorant and all this he doesn't come to them flaunting all of his education all this stuff and, and all this he, he becomes as them like for example the idea like if you're gonna go work with the down and outers you're not gonna go to them wearing a three-piece suit or driving a, a rolls royce while wearing a rolex and wearing silk lined suits and all this you're gonna put on regular clothes so you, so you can work with them you become as them Okay, you become as them. So, so like, for example, uh, the missionaries that go overseas, you become as them in culture. 
to be able to so you you humble yourself you're not prideful of yourself like the prosperity preachers who uh, they flaunt all of their their abilities and things and they don't work with the people they don't become as the people you get what i mean that's what paul's talking about here and verse 23 for this i do for the gospel's sake is he he becomes all things to all men for the gospel's sake that i might be partaker thereof with you no know ye not that they which run a race run all but one receiveth the prize so run that ye may obtain what is this that we're obtaining souls being uh, being able to be usable by God, humble enough to be able to uh, for the Lord to change you, to move you, to to change yourself, so you can work, so you can be more malleable, so you can be more usable, more usable in the discipleship, more usable in your outreach and all of these things. Right? Because if you just lock yourself in one system, one way of doing one thing, God can't use you. You're not humble. You're prideful. You're arrogant. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run ye that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery, what mastery? Strive for the, uh, uh, for, uh, the mastery, uh, which is Christ. The mastery of Christ likeness. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not uh, as uncertainly, so fight as, uh, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest that by any means when i have preached to others i myself should be a castaway unusable because if i stand up before the before the the poor and the down and outers i'm wearing all the fa fancy clothes and the and, and and looking like one which is of high degree they're not going to listen to me they're not going to listen to me if I, if I come to others and I'm push, pushing my own ways, like the Pharisees, nobody listened to the Pharisees. But you become like all things to all men so that they will listen to you. Otherwise, if you ins insist on keeping yourself and you're not wanting to be able to be uh, for the Lord to bend you to, to other means to be able to be usable, you're, you're going to be like a castaway. It'd be, be nothing. It, it's worth nothing. It'd be vanity. No, it's going to fall on deaf ears. No one's going to listen to you. This is what Paul is getting at about discipleship and about, about the ability of usage on the mission field. The, the, the ability of usage in evangelism and outreach and, and ministry. This is not a salvationary passage. But that's what the Seventh-day Adventists say. The Seventh-day Adventists, again, are all about rule keeping. You can't eat this. You can't eat that. You can't drink this. You can't drink that. You if you go to church on Sunday, that's the mark of the beast. You have to go to church on Saturday and all kinds of other things. You got to keep the law, keep the Ten Commandments and all the rest of this because, because God is going to investigate your life to see if you're worthy enough to enter heaven. So you've got to bind yourself to all of these things so that, so that the, the Lord will see you as faithful and then he will let you into heaven because of your works and righteous works. So you see how they've taken this passage and turned it as a salvationary passage. And that's entirely not what it's saying. Let's back up. And, you'll, and now you will hear him say that. And bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul compared our Christian journey to a race. He mentioned the importance of self-control and subjection. And 
indicated that if we don't practice those things in our Christian life, then we will be disqualified from eternal life. See, right there. That's just what I said, is we must bind ourselves into subjection to all these things or else we'll be a castaway, unless, or else we won't be able to get to heaven. Just said it. So, um, Ralph says, does this pair with Philippians 3.14? Uh, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Exactly. That, that's exactly what it is. I press toward the mark of the, of the cause of the high calling. What's the high calling in Christ Jesus? What is the high calling in Christ Jesus? The mastery of Christ-likeness. The mastery of Christ-likeness in service to the Lord. That's what it's talking about. It's not salvationary uh, system. It's not talking about salvation. Scripture number 7, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. <sighs> <clears throat> okay, oh, oh my goodness, I can't believe. Well, that should be expected. There it says, now the Spirit... I got screen. ...speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and to doctrines of demons. That verse clearly indicates that it is not only possible to depart from the faith, but that some believers will depart from the faith in the last days. Nope. Okay. You see what happens if you don't keep reading? First uh, Timothy chapter four verse one. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. How? Giving heed to seducing spirits of doctrine of devils. How? By verse two, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared the hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, like some day Uh which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Okay, uh, so what does it mean to depart from the faith? What is the faith? What is the faith? Uh, so how would you depart from the teachings of the faith? How would you depart from that which has been handed down to you as the faith, which is all the doctrines, the teachings, the theologies, and the scriptures? Well, lying and hypocrisy and binding yourself to law. Like Seventh-day Buddhism. So this is not talking about salvation. This is talking about the f the faith of the teachings. Because we see context. Context here is regarding uh, sins and teachings. Doctrines. Doctrines. By following after false doctrines. False doctrines. Uh, seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. We taught, we we just looked at a passage earlier about the false teachers, false apostles, deceitful workers, and all that kind of thing, and how the doctrines of our faith, the doctrines of our faith, teaches about speaking of truth and uh, and fighting against hypocrisy, and about being under grace, and that we can eat whatever we want, and all this kind of thing, and about how we're not under the law but under grace. Uh, the doctrine of grace and how we can depart from grace. We can depart from uh, the doctrines of the scriptures. But in the end, we will see this. Saints will be falling away after strange doctrines uh, by, given by seducing spirits and false teachers. That's what that's saying. 
This is not a salvationary passage. This is a warning of guarding yourself against false teachings that can lead you astray. See? Just incredible. Scripture number 8, Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Colossians 1. Ephesians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 1. It says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made minister. Here it clears. So already, as you've seen, <clears throat> by the vast majority that I've shown, that nowhere in the Bible does it teach you can lose your salvation. Nowhere does it teach you can be taken away. Nowhere does it teach you can be recanted. Every single evidence so far, and many others that I've shown over time, uh, uh, of so-called so claims are false claims. But by cherry-picking, misrepresenting, misrepresentations uh misinterpretations all of this uh by base personal assumptions and opinions that's all it is based upon the cults because they do not have the spirit of god so they are incapable of understanding the word of god so therefore because there's no holy spirit there's a false spirit that's going to be twisting the scriptures to present to them a false gospel this is what keeps happening and again, here's yet another passage that this guy is going to be teaching about. You can fall away if you don't keep yourself and blah, blah, blah. But let, what does it actually say? Colossians 1, 21 to 23. So actually we need to back up. Let's back up verse 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in all things he might have the preeminence. <clears throat> for it pleased the father that in him should all fullness dwell and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him i say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works yet now hath he reconciled okay so just as you who were dead dead in sin who you who were cast off who you who were alienated you are now reconciled. Just as the Bible says, unto us is given the message of reconciliation. What is that? Salvation. Redemption. By the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.7. By the riches of his grace. Okay. Ephesians 1.13. By trusting and believing the gospel, you are sealed by the Spirit of God. Okay. So you are now reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and approval in his sight. Right. Christ does that. Jesus Christ does that. Jesus Christ is the one that makes us holy and unblameable and unreprovable. You know how? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Uh, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 
Jesus Christ is our sanctification. Jesus Christ is our redemption. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Jesus Christ is our wisdom. It's not our ability of holding ourselves as holy. Goodness. It's not us who keeps us unblameable. Because there is blame in us. We are incapable. We have no goodness, no righteousness. We have nothing in ourselves that is of any value. But he made us valuable. He made us worthy. He poured upon us his blood, his righteousness, his merit, his sanctification, his redemption, his righteousness. And, and, and we wear the white robes of righteousness of Jesus Christ. But they put all of that, the cults put all of that on themselves. And they make themselves the righteous ones by their own righteousness. Just as we looked at earlier. As we saw that verse that I presented. Romans 10.3 For they, these cults, being ignorant of God's righteousness... And going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You see that? Their own righteousness. Their own righteousness. And not submitting to the righteousness of God. So they, so they interpret the righteousness that's mentioned in the Bible as their own righteousness. Clearly talks about people who have come into a saving relationship with God. People who have been reconciled to God. And it mentions that in order for them to be presented unblameable and unreprovable to God after Jesus returns, they need to continue in the faith and maintain their hope of the gospel to the end. That's, that's, that's heresy. That's full-on heresy that's spewing out of his mouth. The word if is even used here, which is conditional. It says if you will continue in the okay let's look at this one <clears throat> in uh in colossians 1 that's down to verse 22 in the body of his flesh jesus christ's flesh through death so you see that in his body in the body of jesus christ of his flesh jesus christ's flesh through his death to present you holy and unbelievable and in his sight. He literally just stole that from Jesus and placed it on himself. That he keeps himself uh, blameless and unreprovable. Did you catch that? Please tell me I'm not the only one who heard that. And he says, verse two, if you continue in the faith ground and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard and which was preached to every creature, which is under heaven, or have I, Paul, made a minister. Okay, so what is the context of this one? And you who were sometimes alienated, you who were uh, enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and, and blameable and reprovable in his sight, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled. Right. To continue in the faith. It's presented to you. Hebrews 6, 4-6. It's presented to you. It's shown to you. We saw these other ones. And how, how their eyes are open. The knowledge. It's here. How do you continue? You continue from this. From this point here. From this point here. From the moment your eyes are opened. You continue into how? 
What, what do you do next? Once your eyes are opened and your mind is open to the truth, what do you do next? Believe. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord God and Savior, and you are what? Born again, saved. Born again, saved. Then what do you do? Then what happens from here? How does the Lord continue using you and presenting you blameless and all this? How do you? How, how does the Lord present you as blameless? You walk in discipleship. You strive for the master of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is this discipleship? This is not salvationary. This is talking about the walk of the saint, the walk of discipleship again. You see, what they love to do is they love to take the discipleship passages and turn them as salvationary. They love to do that. They take the discipleship passages and turn them as salvationary. You continue in the faith. And the Lord works on you, and the Lord, the Lord presents you unbelievable, unreprovable in His sight by by uh, uh, conviction, by teaching and instruction and chastisement and correction. All this, and and we get better and better. We grow deeper and deeper in the faith, and uh, more and more sound in all of this. And the Lord works on us. This is discipleship. This is not a salvationary passage. It's insane how they do this. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, because, well, we can grow apathetic like a like the branch of the vine. We become apathetic as we are not listening, and we our faith withers, and the enemy can get a hold of us and burn us in the lust of the flesh. Uh, can be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which is preached to every creature is under heaven. But this guy, he takes, a, he takes a discipleship passage and he makes it a salvationary passage. Faith and the hope, then you will be acceptable to God. Therefore, the opposite obviously applies. If you don't maintain your faith and hope, you will be lost. It, it, it's just... I, I would absolutely be in a state of perpetual torment and fear and uncertainty if I had that kind of a faith. That that my salvation is based on me, my works. You just heard him say it. That your salvation is completely hinged upon you maintaining to keep it. If you don't continue to maintain to keep it, if you if you keep sinning, if you do this, if you do that, if you don't do this, you don't do that, and you can be cast into hell, you'll be in a state of absolute perpetual torment and fear. Which I know as an absolute fact from firsthand, because my one uncle is a Seventh-day Adventist. And his family, basically a number of them, lost their minds. They actually, like, literally, they, they got, they, some number of them went nuts because they just, they couldn't handle the perpetual torment and fear and terror of going to hell because they believed they had to maintain to keep their salvation. It, this is what happens. Scripture number nine, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6. Going Old Testament again. 1 Samuel chapter 10. Yeah, no peace. There's no peace in the cults. No peace. 1 Samuel chapter 10 verse 6. Okay. This scripture in speaking about King Saul 
and a meeting he had with the prophets, says, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. King Saul was converted by the Holy Spirit. Verse 9 even says that God gave him a new heart. That's what conversion is all about. It's about changing our hearts and minds so that we want to serve God. But King Saul didn't stay that way. He ended up departing from God. Kimo Sabi, the music has started. <laughs> Start the doom music. Says that God gave him a new heart. That's what conversion is all about. It's about changing our hearts and minds so that we want to serve God. But King Saul didn't stay that way. He ended up departing from God and becoming lost. Oh my goodness. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Is that why um, at the end of King Saul's life, when he went to see the witch of Endor, for example, because he refused to go to the Lord, refused to repent, refused to listen to the prophets, refused to listen to the priest, he decided to take it upon himself. But he... When, and uh, the spirit of the prophet Samuel, yes, the spirit of the prophet Samuel was not a false spirit or any other kind of thing because the spirit of the prophet Samuel came up. Uh, the Lord brought the spirit up. The, the witch had nothing to do with it. The Lord canceled all of her powers. The Lord brought up the spirit of the prophet Samuel because God controls all the souls, Ezekiel 18.4. God brought up the spirit of the prophet Samuel to speak to King Saul. And, and, and uh, the, the spirit of Samuel said, today you will be with me. You will be with me. With me, meaning with at your shoulder. Was the prophet Samuel in hell? No. Was in paradise. Down in Sheol, the two compartments, one side was judgment, one side was paradise. Abraham's bosom, the other side was torment and judgment. And the prophet Samuel was in paradise, in Sheol in paradise. And Samuel says, you're going to be with me. King Saul was a saved man. He just had a lot of problems, a lot of issues, a lot of, a lot of sin in this ever rebellion. He was a saved man. We're going to see King Saul in heaven. That's what the Bible shows. But because these works-based heretics base your salvation upon your works, well, King Saul obviously wasn't saved because look what he did. Look at what he did. Look at what he did. Judge not after the appearance? Um, but... Uh, what about the prodigal son? What about the prodigal son? There's a question for you. When did the prodigal son cease to be a son of his father? He did. You mean even though he took his took his inheritance? Oh, I'll preach. Took his inheritance, wandered off into the world, and squandered it in riotous living and harlots and drunkenness, and he ended up in the pen with the pigs, a picture of doing that which is forbidden? He still did not cease to be a son of his father? Well, they say, well, well, the father says my son was as dead. But he wasn't dead. It was like he was because he was separated from, but he was still alive and he was still over there, and he was still a son of his father. He's talking about the separation. The death of separation, but he didn't cease to be a son of his father. He was still of his blood, of his kin, of his family, of his inheritance. Still, he was still his father, still, still his son. He never ceased to be a son of his father. He did not. He did not lose that connection of family. The father never disowned him. 
he never ceased to be blood kin and that's the thing we are blood kin of christ we are in the family by blood we are children by blood we are kin by blood we are we are related by blood the prodigal son was the blood son of the father and never ceased to be his son you cannot cease to be when we are bought purchased washed clean and dwelt sealed by the blood by the spirit by the name by the power of the lord jesus christ we are blood relatives of christ by the blood of jesus christ you can't lose your salvation king saul continually disobeyed god to the point that in 1st Samuel chapter 15 verse 11 the Lord said it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king that God that God was upset of what Saul has done and that again yeah no repentance doesn't mean that God made made a mistake had to repent of sin it me means that he uh, to to turn against one way and to go another because what did he do he turned against Saul and ra he rather he chose David for he is turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And just as Samuel says, the Lord rejects you as king and he will set up another. This is not a salvationary passage where God is rejecting Saul's soul. As a result, King Saul lost his connection with God. No, he, he lost his ability to have the throne. How do you not see this, dude? Seriously. First Samuel chapter 28, verse 6 says, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Yeah, because the Bible says, if, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Right. So, but... If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That 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 when that uh, if we are being disobedient, spoiled, rotten brats of God, he's not going to pay attention to us. Just as a parent is not going to listen to the pleas of their children if the children in, in disobedience won't do as they're told. They're not going to give them the cookie. But if the child says, "I'm sorry," and, and as he told the parent, the parent, well, then bless them. God can't bless us if we're if we are hiding sin in our lives. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 4, even goes so far as to say that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Right, because that's Old Testament. It's a different dispensation. The Spirit of God wasn't given as the full gift yet of permanency. That was until Pentecost, where in Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon the prophets and, and they would testify and prophesy and it would go back again. But Jesus promised in the Gospels that the Spirit of God will come down and stay with you. This was not a thing in the Old Testament. This is a New Testament thing. The gift of the Holy Ghost is that it be given and would not be taken away, sealed by the Spirit of God. Old Testament, the Spirit of God come upon you. Does that mean that these prophets, as they're, as they're waiting, the Spirit of God come upon them? That meant they're saved. And they're prophesying the Spirit of God left. Oh, they're unsaved again. Oh, they're saved. Oh, they're unsaved again. Oh, they're saved. They're unsaved again. Are you seriously saying that? He had lost the Holy Spirit. He was basically without God.
and lost at this point, he had totally backslidden. Moreover, he became so desperate to receive divine revelation that in 1 Samuel chapter 28, Saul goes to the witch of Endor and ends up communicating with a demonic spirit that pretends No, 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 no. I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off right there. Uh, let's go let's take a look at this for 1st Samuel 28. <clears throat> I have a whole sermon on this one. Actually, I went into great detail. This is back when I was doing uh, some courses uh, from Andersonville Theological Seminary. And I, I had to write an essay and I and I chose 1st Samuel 28 and I wrote, wrote this up as one of my essays for my uh, uh, for that uh, course and uh, all about this and I showed this. Um, and so in 1 Samuel 28, verse 11, Then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. Why? She, she was ter terrified. Why? Why would she be terrified of her familiar spirit? And, and, the woman, and the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto, her, said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. I mean, powers, authorities, and powerful beings. The powerful ones, uh, ones of, a, of the other dimension. I saw gods ascend, ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And he said, An old man cometh up, and he's covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. Verse 15, And Samuel said to Saul, Samuel said to Saul. Okay, first question. First question. Right? God is not the author of confusion, right? God is not the author of confusion. He gives us not the spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. He gives us not that he's not the author of confusion. God cannot lie. And he's not the author of confusion. If this was a demonic spirit, Why does it say that it was Samuel? And Samuel said to Saul. If it was a demonic spirit, it would say it would say it was a it was a false spirit, it would say the lying spirit, it would say it was a demon, it would say it's a fallen angel, it would say something other than it was Samuel. Furthermore, and Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? Number two, bring me up. You can't come up out of hell. You can only come up out of paradise because only the saved can be resurrected or be brought back or whatever else as we see, like the spirits of uh, Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Saul answered, I'm sore distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God is departed from me and answereth me no more, neither by his prophets nor by dreams. Uh, uh, therefore, I have called thee that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee and has become thine enemy, and the Lord and the Lord hath done to him as he spake, as the and the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me. The Lord has done to you just as he said through me to you earlier. When I told you earlier that this is what was going to happen. This is what has happened. 
Then the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me. For the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand, and given it to thy neighbor, even to David, because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Why would a demon speak the truth? How could a demonic being speak the truth? How could a demonic being preach the truth, testify of God, and talk about repentance, and talk about the things that the Lord would say? Demons don't do that. Ever. This is the spirit of the prophet Samuel. The God brought up the spirit of the prophet Samuel to talk to King Saul. Not a demonic spirit. See? to be the prophet Samuel and the result was disastrous he committed suicide in a battle against the Philistines the next day right scripture number 10 all right before we go any further any comments questions issues insights is this making sense do anybody have anything they want to add into this anything else at all we're on our last uh, last one we're almost made it almost made it <laughs> One more to go. Oh, I sinned again. I drank I drank caffeine. Yeah, <laughs> this guy's nuts. Yep, you're right. Alright, let's go. One more. We got one more to go. Everyone take a deep breath. Grab your Bibles. Let's go. One more. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 9. Oh, I'm getting tired. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 9. Okay. It says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Lucifer, who we now know as Satan, was created as a perfect angel in heaven. But as a result of rebelling against God, he was cast out. This is one of the strongest evidences for me that someone saved can end up lost. to say folks um i have never heard someone ever use that passage as an argument to prove that you could lose your salvation i i what okay um all right so he says that 
that that that because the devil and the angels were cast out because of their rebellion that means i can lose my salvation <laughs> satan was not a christian that's right uh, okay let's back up shall we okay so when did this happen when did the great the, the great rebellion in heaven occur all right well we see you go all the way back to the garden of eden Let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Then when God made everything, everything was perfect. Okay. And then we, as we see in Isaiah and Ezekiel, there's passages there that talk about Lucifer, the anointed cherub. Thou wast in Eden, the garden of God, O Lucifer. So before the fall of sin, Lucifer was in the garden. Walking around, and he was there. And we see during this time, we see that Satan was filled with pride. And he said within himself, I will ascend to the throne. I will be like God. He really thought something of himself. And so he came down, and he was in the Garden of Eden. And he tempted Eve. Yea, hath God truly said. The great temptation. And we see him then opposing acting upon this in free will choice the angel said free will choice acted upon this to oppose god he, uh, he and uh, from the, the his his first position he fell from his first position into sin and be, and it became known as the devil and god cursed him uh, all by this we see the uh, the great curse of god upon lucifer and all this and the third of the angels that side with him fell fell uh, from heaven they left their first estate Okay. Left their first estate, and they felt, and they are now bound, bound in chains to darkness, as it says in Jude. They're bound in chains to darkness. There's no salvation for them. But angels were not made in the image of God. We were. We were made in the image of God, and God breathed into us the breath of life and created a living soul. But Adam and Eve, because of Adam's transgressions, sin came into the world. But God so loved us. He so loved us, he made a way of salvation for us. He didn't make a way of salvation for them. He didn't make a way of salvation for the angels. We were perfect like the angels. Fell into sin. The angels were perfect. They fell into sin. But for them, there's no way of salvation made for them, but there's a way of salvation made for us. Because we're made in the image of God. God made us and he gave us living souls. And he made a way of salvation for us to be redeemed out of sin. There's no redemption for, for fallen angels. This guy's theology is just... I uh, I don't even know what to say. It's just, this is the most incredible twisting of scripture I have ever heard. This is the most incredible twisting of scripture I've ever... I have never heard someone use this passage of this this teaching this doctrine as a, as a proof text that you could lose your salvation i this is this is just insane god made salvation for us so we could be saved from the depths of sin there's no salvation for angels how, how can you oh my goodness yeah the, you know, we need to pray for these guys souls they are so lost they're so lost okay we're almost done we're almost done Lucifer was actually better than saved. He
Lucifer was better than saved? The, 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 the position of being created as a cherubim of God? An angel? A holy angel? Is better? Than being indwelt by the spirit of the living God? Are you for real, bro? Are you for real? This has to be a joke. Did you hear that? This guy literally just said, I got to play this again. I got to play this again. This is Seventh-day Adventism, folks. This is Seventh-day Adventism. But as a result of rebelling against God, he was cast out. This is one of the strongest evidences for me that someone saved can end up lost. Lucifer was actually better than saved. He was created sinless and lived in heaven. Adam was created sinless. And he walked in the perfect garden of Eden with God. And God himself walked with Adam and spoke with Adam and fellowshiped with Adam. The very person of Almighty God fellowshiped with Adam. In the Garden of Eden, sinless creation, as Adam was sinless and perfect. Those eyes, folks, you see the eyes of this guy? Those are eyes that are completely dead to all doctrine and theology. The once saved, always saved doctrine was not a part of Christianity until John Calvin began teaching it in the 16th century. Oh, we're going back there again, are we? There, here, here's the Armenian. You gotta roast, uh, gotta roast Calvin. This is the classic Armenian versus Calvinist thing. I guess that the Armenians who are all about uh, super hyper free will. You choose to save yourself. You choose to unsave yourself. You choose this. You choose that. God obeys you. God obeys your will. Uh, against the Calvinist who believes in uh, the all sovereignty and no free will. That's all this is. The Bible makes it clear that you can fall from grace. You can fall from salvation. Depart from God. Nope. And be blotted out of God's book of life. That what? Uh, the book of life, not the Lamb's book of life. After you have been saved. No, you can't lose salvation. The Bible also emphasizes that we need to keep the faith and hope in Jesus to the end. No, no, no it doesn't. If we expect to make it to heaven. Nope. King Saul is a very good example. Nope. Of someone who started out saved, but then ended up lost because he continually disobeyed God. Nope, that didn't happen. You completely misunderstand that text. And Lucifer, who was created perfect in heaven, was cast out. Yeah, because of great rebellion, but no salvation was made for him, but there's salvation made for us. You don't... Because of his rebellion against God. There are a lot more details to this issue, and if you'd like to know more, I'll include a link in the description box to an online post entitled, Can a Saved Man Choose to be Lost? Oh, I'm sure that book would be an entertaining read. Uh, I do not uh, 
give any license to this, I, I, you should not read this. But if you do, um, read it as it, uh, under the context. Read this book. If you do get it, read this book under the context that it's a heretic work, heretic manuscript. Have a highlighter with you and a pen and have your Bible and refute every point down through the book and write in it and, and correct it all the way through. And you can see all of the mistakes and twistings and everything if you're going to do that. But be careful, be very careful about reading heretical manuscripts. Um, because, again, you need to understand there are devils behind the teachings of the cults and all this stuff. If you read their material and you're not sound in the faith, it, I'm serious that the spirits that are upon the manuscripts, the materials of those cults will start to twist your mind. Your reason you will start to question that maybe, maybe they have a good argument that kind of sounds right and you'll start to sway you. That happens more often than you expect. Be very careful. Know your Bible. Study your Bible. Get sound in the faith before you ever look at the materials of other religions telling you feel free to check it out thank you for watching if you enjoyed this video please like it and share it also check out some of my past videos on my channel page so again folks this is bible flock box bible flock box a seventh day adventist channel he has more than one channel and uh yeah this is bible flock box i have a lot of good christian videos there which are <laughs> a lot of good heretic videos not christian i'm sure you'll enjoy if you liked this one God bless. All right. All right. That was exhausting. Oh, my goodness. All right. So there you go. We made it. We made it. All right. So there you go, folks. Any comments, questions, issues, insights, anything anything on that before we wrap this up if you have any other comments questions i know uh yeah yeah i'm i'm exhausted that was exhausting all right um i know uh was someone said they have a question that they've been wanting to ask for a while and they that's somewhere in the comments i can't find it yeah they had a question that's been keeping them up and they really want an answer to it um so yeah uh but that's what I pretty much had for today. I didn't expect to go three hours. <laughs> but uh, we did. Anyways, there you go. Um, cinema steak and track. <laughs> but there you go. But uh, what I wanted to show you folks is uh, is how the, how the Catholic goes against trying to refute once saved, always saved. How the Seventh-day Adventist goes about trying to refute once saved, always saved. And you'll, you'll, you will notice a theme down through here like Isaiah Saldivar, uh, other works-based salvationists, uh, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Catholics, the, the uh, Seventh-day Adventists, and all of them, the, the, the Mennonites, the Amish. They all believe in a works-based system that it's not enough to just believe. You have to believe and do this and do that and keep this and keep that. Uh, that uh, they deny salvation by grace and faith through belief alone. Even though they say they do many a time. They say, oh yeah, we're saved by grace through faith. We're absolutely saved by grace through faith. But you know what they do? They take faith. And they make faith 
faithfulness. We're saved by grace through faithfulness. That faith is works. You're being faithful. We're saved by grace through faith. But that's not what faith means. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is believing trust. Faith is believing trust. Okay. Um, level 10 has a question in Matthew. Uh, that's Matthew chapter 10. I believe what you're referring to there. I think. No, maybe not. I can't remember. Where in Matthew? Hey, it's in Matthew when he says, Well, to those who give suck. I understand he's talking about parents. Basically, I'm, I'm going to uh, Because a baby in end times. No, 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 no. No, no. This isn't talking about. Uh, no. Um. Twenty-four. Um, no, Jesus is talking. But yeah, Matthew twenty-four. Right. I, I get numbers mixed up sometimes. I remember. I remember the words. I struggle to remember references sometimes. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah. Matthew twenty-four, verse nineteen. Okay, uh, but you need to back up. And this is remember I showed you down through this video. All through our, every single thing that we went through. What did I do? Constantly, 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 constantly. Back up, back up, back up. Whole context, whole context. You don't just pick one verse at one point. You need to understand the whole context. So the whole context here, um, as we see in verse 15. When, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him, uh, let him which is on the housetop not come down to, to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back, take his clothes. And woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And those have little children. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation. Such was not since the beginning of this world uh, uh, to this time, uh, no, uh, nor ever shall be. This is talking about the end of days during the tribulation period when you see when the Antichrist rises up in power and all this. Has that happened yet? No. That has, that's not bearing upon us here right yet, right now. We're not there yet. The, the, uh, this period of this time, the great the abomination desolation, go back to the book of Daniel, talks about this, uh, the Antichrist, and uh, about the temple and all this stuff being built. Neither, none of that has happened yet. This is not applying to us. That is not that is not affecting you. This is also referring to uh, uh, those in Israel at this time when the Antichrist st sets up in the temple and they see who he is, and to flee this because he'll start to bring upon them uh, great tribulation. Uh, that's not on us. We won't be there during that time because this is after this is after the rapture, after the gathering of the saints. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be taken out. We we're not even going to see that. So yeah. There you go. We're, we're not in the end the end of days yet of the Antichrist period and time and all this kind of thing. We're not there yet. We're getting close. We're not there yet. So, no. You're not in trouble or any of that kind of thing. No. That does not bear on you. 
So there you go. Okay. Oh boy. So that was a fun one. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> if you appreciate these studies, please give this a like, give this a thumbs up, make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icons. You know, we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons of other goodies and stuff. Uh, I should start a new playlist of reaction videos. As I've done some already, where we've done on Joyce Myers, we've done on Stephen Furtick, we've done one on that Orthodox priest, and now we've done this one again. Refer <laughs> going back to the uh, most holy family monastery <laughs> Catholic video uh, attacking once they've always saved, and we've done one on Seventh Day Adventist Bible flock box. And I should start a new playlist on these. But anyways, uh, so I hope this has been a help, a comfort, and encouragement to you, showing you how to defend the faith, how to contend for the faith. So I hope this has been a blessing to you, an encouragement to you. Uh, share this video around. If you know of others that could be uh, uh, helped by this, uh, uh, give some information to some others, go ahead and share it. And uh, like I said, give us a like, show your support. And also check out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. We have links to all other platforms and goodies and uh, all of that. So please make sure you check it out. We have free downloadable gospel tracks and uh, e-tracks on our website as well. Links to all their platforms. Check it all out and a contact us link. So there you go. So I wrapped it up there. Thank you so much for joining in. This has been a lot of fun. This has been a battle. <laughs> oh man, this has been tiring. But we made it. God word still stands and every, every, every single thing that they threw at us, the word of God explained it. The word of God stands true. The word of God stands true. Every single thing that they, they tried to use to disprove the gospel of Jesus Christ, they, all of their explanations just fell apart. And all we had to do was let the Bible speak for itself. His word is a fire and like a hammer. That breaks the stone to pieces. This word stands true. There you go. So God bless you folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, see you in the sky. God bless.